You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Washington left field deep, Bam going back, looking up, he will watch it fly! And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back! Goal for Yelich! Cody Bellinger hits one out. Pete Alonso, he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. We are back. That's right, A's Cast Live. Before a what's going to be, hopefully, a really fun series the A's against the Los Angeles Dodgers. Before I tell you my spring training story, I just want to say this to you A's fans. Right now, right now, right now, I'm on the MLB.com standings page. And I look and I see there's an X with Tampa, there's an X with the Yankees, X with the White Sox, X with the Twins, nothing in the NL East, nothing in the NL Central, and then an X for the Dodgers and the Padres. There's only one Y on the board, baby. One. X stands for clinched playoff berth. Y stands for clinched division. The first part of your mission is complete. Win the division. Take it away from the Astros. And that's exactly what this team did. That's what their goal was down in spring training. Their goal is to win the World Series. They're not going to be satisfied with just saying they're ALS champs. They want more. But they're the only team right now with a Y. And you should be very proud of these guys. Everything that they've had to go through this year. And now these stories are starting to come out. I don't know if I totally agree with it. But like Tim Kirchner came out with a piece talking about how tough the season has been. And you know some people aren't having a whole lot of fun. Well, these A's look like they're having fun because they're winning. And winning is the greatest deodorant of all time. It cleans up any stink. And when you look at this team and its opportunity this year in 2020, their destiny is in their own hands. And I couldn't be happier for this group because you know what? Yeah. It sucks having to stay in your hotel room. It sucks having to do tests all the time and take your temperature all the time and do all of that. It sucks when you can only get to the ballpark when they tell you you can show up. There's a lot of things that probably aren't pleasant about this season. But as Rick Sutcliffe is going to tell you coming up here, because he was a part of that Dodger team in 1981, shortened season, Dodgers, Yankees, World Series, all those guys got World Series rings. And they're the same World Series rings that everybody else gets. I can't tell you how fired up I am for today. The rest, I mean, you got seven games left. Three against L.A., four against Seattle, a day off, and then the playoffs start. Special, special times, no 
doubt about it. Coming up here, Corey Beck, CEO and winemaker for Francis Ford Coppola Winery and Diana Hovey, Senior Vice President for No Kid Hungry. They've teamed up together to feed children, and you're going to help. They're going to join me coming up here at 315. Because a lot of these kids, they rely on nutrition and food by being in school, but so many kids are not in school. We don't want any kids left behind. So they are going to join us coming up here at 315. There's a way for you to buy wine as an A's fan and to help out. It's a win-win. You're helping kids get fed and you're drinking some good wine. Former Los Angeles Dodger and San Francisco Giant Assistant General Manager, Ned Coletti, who still does TV around the Dodgers, he is going to join us at 3.30. Rick Sutcliffe will be calling the game tonight on ESPN, former Cy Young Award winner, Rookie of the Year, world champion. He'll be here at 4. The guy who's thrown the ball the best for you all year long is going to be here. And I'm not going to be shocked if they're saying, Chris Bassett, here's the ball in game one. He'll be here at 4.30, and then the skipper, Bob Melvin, at 5. Now, I'm just going to tell you, we, you know, you only have certain ranges where we can get these guys, and we did Bob Melvin on Sunday, so we're not going to be able to say congratulations, Skip, on winning the AL West. We knew they were going to win the AL West, but he is so superstitious, he wouldn't go there. But we'll talk to uh, We did Bob on Sunday morning. That's when he was available. So we'll we'll rerun Bob coming up here at 5 o'clock. And if you've been listening to the manager show, you probably maybe heard it on A's cast. But these are great times from a standpoint of baseball. Three straight years in the postseason. First time you win the division going back all the way to 2013. That just seems so long ago. Well, let me refresh your memory. Here is the voice of your Oakland Athletics. Ken Korak, 2013. 0-2, two out ninth inning. Everybody's standing at the Coliseum. Scribner turns and deals. Swung on and missed. Up and away, and the ball game is over. And, man, what a way to finish up at home. The A's vault out of the dugout. And Mass in a scrum up the first baseline, piling on each other between the pitcher's mound and first base. They've swept the Twins in for the second consecutive year. The A's have won the West. Been a long time. 2013. But now they're set up. It's their division. Astros are struggling. I don't know what the Astros are going to look like long term. We haven't been on the air since Justin Verlander, as I told you. I'll believe Verlander's pitching in 2020 when I finally actually see him on a mound. And that's not happening. And he's having Tommy John surgery. And the Tommy John surgery protocol now is like 14 months. So he's going to make $33 million next year being on the shelf. I doubt he'll rush it. I hope he doesn't. But he's going to be, you got no Garrett Cole. You got no Justin Verlander. Osuna's going to be out. He'll probably be out for the year. This is this is going to be a run for the A's that I think we're all going to really, really enjoy. Because last time I checked, Angels don't have any pitching. Last time I checked, Seattle stinks. 
Last time I checked, Texas stinks. Financially, where the A's are, the where they're set up, the, their core, you know, there'll be a big decision on Marcus Simeon, but their core is there to win for years. But this year, now that you can take that breather, see, that's one of the things I really like is you win now, and now you can whew, take a big breath. All right, here's what we're going to do. We got seven games left. We're going to rest guys that need to be rested, going to play guys who need more at-bats, and you can start setting up however you want. We'll find out later this week from David Forrest what he's thinking with the general manager show. But now we can officially say or ask the question, who are the three you're going with? Now, hopefully you only need to use two. Win two. Right now, it looks like you'll be going to Dodger Stadium. Commander Cody, it's been a while. How are you? I'm doing well, and I'm excited to see this A's-Dodgers series kickoff because we heard about it all spring training, how this could be a preview when the A's and Dodgers played down there when we were there, that this could be a preview of the World Series this year. And, you know, that both teams have lived up to their expectations, and it's been great to see. And I want to see who the three guys in the rotation are because then you get to figure out who's going to be the guy that comes out of the bullpen because the A's have been using a six-man rotation with the addition of Mike Miner. So I'm curious to see how David Forrest and Bob Melvin and Billy Bean line up the rotation going into the postseason. But this series against the Dodgers is going to be exciting because for fans that don't get to see the Dodgers play as much as, you know, sometimes we do watching games outside of the market, you're going to see Ginger Guard Dustin May pitch tonight. You're going to see Gavin Lux, Cody Bellinger. We already saw Mookie Betts play for Boston. It, it, there's a lot of star power in this series, even if the A's don't have Matt Chapman. Uh, Jake Lamb has played really well. So, they, well, I mean, he's been great. Godsend. What a great find for the A's after he was DFA'd by the uh, the Snakes and our good friend Tori Lavallo and the uh, Diamondbacks down there in Arizona. So this is going to be a good series. I'm, I've been looking forward to this for a while. When we saw the A's were playing the Dodgers just once in L.A., we have been looking forward to this since the beginning of uh, the season back in July. Jake Lamb is hitting 364, two home runs, seven RBIs in the six games since joining the A's. I mean, no offense, but that's far more productive than Matt Chapman with that bad hip and couldn't make contact. I mean, literally, he was striking out almost every single at-bat. This guy's come in, he doesn't hurt you on defense, and he's been fabulous on offense. I mean, every pickup they've made. Listella, he's your best player. Uh, Miners at least giving you a complete game. I mean, the front office, uh, they get some high reviews for what they've been able to do. Tonight, though, I'm going to tell you right now, the number one story tonight, What Frank? which Frankie Montas is going to show up? Because lately he hasn't been great. And right now, I mean, Chris Bassett has to get the ball. I'm still going to say Mike Fires, And some of you may disagree. I've got the numbers that back it up. Then who's the third guy? You going Manaya? You going Montas? You going Jesus Lazardo? Where are you going? I mean, it's, a, it's, it's an interesting how they're going to line it up. So, Frankie, this is really the start that you want to see because you're playing a playoff team. Frankie goes out there and mows him down. He's throwing high 90. He's got the split going. But if he goes out there and he gives it up, I don't know. 
I mean, he started your season. I mean, do you do you feel the same way about Frankie Montas now that you did earlier in the year? No, I, I mean, for me personally, I don't. I mean, he looked great those first few starts, and then the nagging injury that he had kind of limited him, and then he had to start against Arizona where he didn't look good. And I don't know, it just – the way he looked at the start this season was he looked like he was going to win the Cy Young. I mean, there's no other way to put it. He looked great. He was building off of the year he had last year coming, you know, prior to the – the suspension, then he had that one start against the Angels coming off the suspension, and he looked awesome. Same way to start the year, then he kind of he kind of went down. We've gone back and forth forever about who's going to be the three in the rotation, and I'm with you. I think Bassett and Fires have to be in there, and then, you know, Bob, Billy, and David have to make a big decision on who's going to be the third guy uh, because I, I, it's still, for me it still goes back to you can have Lazardo come out of the pen and be an awesome piece, like an Andrew Miller like we've talked about. A guy coming out of the bullpen that can do damage for you. Or if you want to do kind of like what the Nats did last year, they used Strasburger, Scherzer, and they brought Corbin in to pitch later in the game. I mean, Patrick Corbin's not a guy you think of that's going to mow you down, but he did last year in the playoffs. And I think Lazardo has better stuff than Corbin, so that could play in the A's favor uh, going forward in the playoffs if that's something they want to do. So earlier today, Corey Beck, CEO and winemaker for Ford Coppola Winery, and they're a great sponsor and a great partner of the A's. And Diana Hovey, Senior Vice President for No Kid Hungry, which is also a great organ, a national organization. They joined me to talk about what they are doing, and they're trying to help kids. It's very, very special. Here's my interview with Corey and Diana. Well, Corey, it's so great to have you back. You know, last time we were talking, we were talking about potentially winning the American League West. Now we can say our A's are the American League West champs. Cannot wait for the playoffs. I know you have to be thrilled. Congratulations, uh, the A's organization. Unbelievable. I think it's been since, what, 2013 since uh, we won the West. So now it's a, we actually have a playoff series, which is great, which will be at home on the 29th, I think it starts. So we're, we're ecstatic. So congratulations to the organization. Yeah, Diane, we uh, two straight years were in the wild card game. It's one game, win or lose, and we lost both. And uh, our fan base has just been heartbroken. But now we're, we're the champs of the division. We've slayed the Houston Astros. Uh, those guys that we're not big fans of, we might still see them in the postseason. But uh, you're out in Texas. And uh, the Astros and the Rangers, we make it out there there quite a bit. But thank you so much for coming on. Uh, this campaign is very, very special. I know for you, for for Corey, and for the Oakland A's. And thank you so much for stopping by. Well, thanks so much, Chris. First of all, congratulations. I mean, my gosh, we need some some great news in California, and you've just provided it. So big congratulations, and best of luck in the the games coming up. Yes, and Francis Ford Coppola Winery and No Kids for Hunger, uh, two, two, two great organizations. And, Corey, if you could just talk about your guys' partnership and, and what it means to the winery. So uh, two, two great things. I mean, Francis, his um, philanthropic bone, and, and a lot of it um, goes towards the creative side with arts uh, and also with children as well. And so, you know, when I, even from when I first met him, his penchant for children and making sure that they either A, have the proper food and nourishment and then B, the education as well. And so we've always been, we're, we do something at the winery, um, which is kind of interesting. We, if a, um, let's say your, your son or daughter, Townie wanted to play the guitar. And so we, we actually pay 
for them for those lessons, right? Because he really believes in making sure. So this is another way that we can actually help support children on a broader scale. Uh, and then also, you know, which we'll touch on, given the time that we're living in with the pandemic, I know, Dana, you need more the support now more than ever. Absolutely. You know, first of all, just thank you. Thank you, Corey, for your, your support. You're absolutely right. Kids need, they need support. They need inspiration and to have the, the, just the, everything that you're doing at Francis Ford Coppola Winery to engage kids and inspire them for a future. But you're absolutely right. Kids need food to learn. And, you know, it's hard to believe in the wealthiest country in the world that hunger exists, that child hunger exists. And really over the last decade, since the No Kid Hungry campaign launched, we saw the greatest decrease in child, child hunger in this country in really since the last great recession. Overnight, literally overnight with COVID, that progress over the last two decades has been completely erased. Now, one in four kids are waking up and at times not knowing where their next meal is coming from. That's just, it, it, it's so hard to fathom. And that's why your support has just been so incredibly important to us. I, I mean, it, it, it's heartbreaking. I mean, when, when you say that, it's absolutely heartbreaking. And you're, you're a national organization, so you're, you're looking across the United States of America. Obviously, we're very focused here in Northern California, but talk about the work you do around the country. Yeah, so the No Kid Hunger campaign is all about breaking down barriers to kids getting the food they need, any obstacle that exists. Kids have the right, and they've had the, the, the access to um, school lunches for decades. But over the last you know, 10 plus years, the No Kid Hungry campaign has really focused on all of those children that, that don't get breakfast, that don't get dinner, that don't get summer meals, weekends, they're hungry, and really breaking down the barriers to the access. So throughout the year, we're working with school districts in all 50 states to ensure that when kids get to school, there's breakfast. There's breakfast after the bell rings in the classroom so that there's no stigma attached. If you're the kid who was at home and the family couldn't provide um, breakfast to you, the cupboards were bare, you get to school and everybody is enjoying breakfast together. So whether it's summer meals, whether it's after school meals, we are ensuring kids are fed three healthy meals, 365 days a year. Of course, that all changed with COVID because we're so aligned to school districts that all of a sudden, and you read about this every day, teachers are trying to figure out how they, they're able to get food to the kids. The kids aren't learning in the classroom. I mean, you probably have kids that are, are virtually learning right now, right? I mean, you're fortunate that you can prepare those meals at home. So many kids that have depended on those meals, they, they don't have access to them. So our work really has pivoted over the last five months to ensure that we're breaking down barriers. If you think about it, just in the Oakland Unified School District, right in your backyard, we're working with using the support from, from great partners like Francis Ford Coppola Wines. We are setting up 12 meal sites, free meal sites in schools around the district. And thanks to your support, we've just added on three more sites and a food truck. And now these kids are getting both lunch and dinner at these sites. And guess what? If, they're, if their younger siblings are in the car, they're being fed as well. So it's all of this that 
every school looks different, every town looks different, and we're literally working in every community right now. Yeah, I live in San Jose, California, which is the largest city in Northern California. And uh, my two kids, my twins just started high school, but they're doing it from uh, right here in my house. And then my wife is a first grade teacher. So I get to see what she has to do with these first graders. And it's just uh, what what COVID has done to the school system. I, I mean, I we can talk about it. I mean, go up to Geyserville where, where the winery is. I'm sure, Corey, you're dealing with the same thing. And just, you know, watching these kids not being able to go to school, it's not good for a lot of these children, especially because they can't get food. Yeah, it's, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, um, we just implemented a program here, uh, which is we're launching uh, next week, actually on Monday. So we got the idea of, of when, you know, when it started last year, we, we had a lot of family members, of course, you know, having to work from home and children at home and the stress level that it created mm-hmm. in households and the potential of losing your job. And I mean, it was enormous. So we said over the summer, he said, if this continues, we're going to provide a place here at the winery that where the families can drop their kids off and we're going to have teachers come in and have education for the, the students. So we have enough, we're fortunate we have a pretty big area to where we're partnering with the YMCA. They are providing the, the teachers and the expertise and we're providing a platform for children to come in and at least be helped, uh, tutors, if you will, um, throughout the day so the parents can feel like they can work and there's a separation. I mean, Tony, you just brought it up. Your kids are right next door. And so um, we're launching that on Monday. And so I think it's important, no matter if it's, it's food or the stress levels that families are under, that we all have to be working together and forming solutions. Because, you know, look, we're right now and with the political landscape and everything going on, we've got to come together now more than ever. That's our feeling. No, and and helping people. It's like certain people have certain needs and people have different needs. And as as you just said, we need to be solution-based. You know, there are problems. The problems aren't changing. And no no one's going to snap a finger and this goes away. So I think all of us who have small businesses or larger businesses need to reach out and help as much as we can. And Diane, especially for the kids. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, you know, Corey, that, that story is amazing. And I think, you know, just the way that you think creatively about it, that's what, and, and Chris, I think about your wife as a, a teacher, everybody, parents, teachers, uh, nonprofits, we're all having to work together to provide very innovative solutions, you know, bus drivers delivering food to families on, on routes, setting up a drive-through stations to pick up food, learning centers, which you're describing. And you know what, this isn't gonna get easier. What we're facing right now, and I'm, I'm sure you see it and hear it, there's so much uncertainty. Right now, we're still, we're trying to figure out what next spring's gonna look like. There is still gonna be a lot of adaptability that's, that's gonna be required. The other thing that we're seeing is there's so many families that have never really experienced the need that they're experiencing now. People that are finding themselves out of work parents out of work that that they've never encountered this and so the need is so great the flexibility the partnership the partnership of being able to work with your team at the winery Corey and and Chris with with all that you're doing um, it's more important than ever 
we, um, you know, that's very, very well said. And, you know, one of the things, Tony, we, we actually started this program late last year. Uh, so this was well before the COVID was, was taking place. And boy, I mean, I'm so happy. I'm so happy that we did because you, you need it now more than ever. So uh, it's important, like I said, I mean, Francis and, and his wife, Eleanor and the family, um, they have their causes that they that they love to support, and uh, and children is at the top of that list. And we're very blessed uh, that you guys are so generous. And we're going to be emailing this out to a lot of A's fans. But thirty percent off the Diamond Collection wine right now when you're checking out. Use the coupon code Oakland NKH. That's Oakland NKH. And Corey, you can talk about what you're going to do. Uh, you're going to donate to No Kids for hun uh, Hunger, and there's a lot that you're going to be offering. Yeah, that's correct. So we're going to, uh, with that, we're going to offer a penny shipping as well, uh, and then we're donating for every purchase of two dollars to the to the organization of No Kid Hungry, um, and those, you know, that goes along with all the other commitments that we've made. But this is this is something that you know, working with the Oakland A's uh, as well, it's been a great partnership. And how if we can tie it in to other things that are, are a little bit bigger, if you will, which is you know hunger, um, then it's a good thing. Yeah. Well, and I, I have to say a big, a big thank you um, to, to, to both Corey and Chris. You know, so much of it is raising awareness and being associated with with brands like Francis Ford Coppola Winery and being able to, you know, when, when people see the wine and they see your messaging, you're driving awareness of this issue. And that's half the battle, helping parents understand there's help to be found helping teachers understand that there's 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 solutions that's half the battle so thank you for that and you get great wine yeah, yeah exactly yes. there's the bonus there's the bonus <laughs> you're helping kids and you're getting wine for yourself this this is as they say a no-brainer yeah. yes definitely a win-win so once again, let me give it out. Uh, you you go to the website and you use the coupon code Oakland NKH at checkout, and you're going to get thirty percent off the Diamond Collection wine. Corey, tell us a little bit about the Diamond Collection wine. So the Diamond Collection we started back in the mid '90s, and um, it all kind of started around this wine claret, which was um, from the founder Gustav Niebaum back in the late 1800s. That was one of the very first wines in California that was made. So we have taken that, and it's a, literally it was the shape of the diamond on the on the bottle. And uh, so we have taken that over the course of the years and expanded it to. Um, Pinot Noir and Merlot and Chardonnay and Sauvignon Blanc. Um, so it's been a phenomenal, we just love calling it the diamond series, you know, and then, you know, how that played with baseball too was like, this is great. And a quick story about baseball is, is that Francis, um, he's always had a, a penchant for, for baseball. And the reason for it was, is that he loved playing baseball or softball at family picnics. And he always said the best players were always the females. And it would be like, you know, Aunt Joni would come up and smack one over everybody's head, you know, and he always remembered that, that it was always the females that were the best players, always stuck with him. And so he's had a penchant for baseball uh, for forever. So it's, uh, it's kind of funny. <clears throat> Oh, that is a great story. Well, I just want to thank you both. And you know that here with A's Cast Live, we'll do everything we can to, to help you. And and really to the two of you, what you're doing to help children. And, and as we mentioned, you know, children waking up 
in the morning without food and no lunch, no dinner. It's absolutely heartbreaking. So what the two of you are doing is something really, really special for our community and our country. Thank you, Tony. And uh, I will, I like to say to my staff and my kids and everybody, I said, um, look for the silver lining every day. It might be small, it might be big, but look for the silver lining. And today my silver lining was able to chat with both of you. A's winning, of course, Diane, from what we're doing with No Kid Hungry. Uh, so we're doing a lot of really good things. So that's my silver lining for today. You inspire me, you both. Thank you so much. It's an absolute great cause. And you can really help out A's fans. Francis Ford Coppola Winery and No Kid Hungry. And uh, like I said, it's not a joke. I mean, you're going to help kids get food on the table and you're getting great wine. So it is a a win-win. And it's always a win to have our friend on, Ned Coletti. Ned, how are you? Hey, doing okay. Doing all right. Thank you. Yourself? Uh, we're, we're, you know, the, the A's have clinched. We're the only team that's clinched the division. So uh, we weren't going to have to deal with it anyway. But you know, Ned, two straight years of losing in the wild card game after winning 97 <laughs> games. That's brutal. <laughs> the wild card game. That's a tough one to be in after 162 and winning 97. That's uh, it's unfair in a lot of ways. You've been in this game a long time, and you've seen a lot of stuff. But this year, as we're starting to get some articles out here of just about how tough everything has been on these players and these traveling parties and COVID-19 to the social injustice. And we mentioned there was almost a hurricane with the uh, athletics when they were going to Houston. And now the air quality that they're having to play in out on the West Coast. I mean, there's never been a year like this. What, what, what do you think how tough it's been for, I, I like to say, the players and the whole traveling party? Well, it's, it's obviously totally different. Uh, life is totally different pretty much everywhere and pretty much for everybody, whether you're an athlete uh, or just not an athlete. I think it's, um, it's probably been a pretty good wake-up call to a lot of people to um, how good we had it, so to speak. And, and the freedom to move around, the freedom to be with people, the, the freedom to travel, uh, the freedom to travel as a team and, and uh, get to a city. And if you get there early enough, maybe grab a dinner out and, and uh, you know, all, all the trappings of the life and the lifestyle. People used to tell me, you don't have a job, you have a lifestyle. And I think it's, it's obviously been different. And, you know, I congratulate and I, I tip my cap to so many people that had to figure this out. And, uh, you know, the baseball is and, and hockey is the two businesses that I've been in for a long time. And as I as I look at what the NHL has done in Toronto and Edmonton and now just Edmonton, remarkable, no positive tests. As I look at what baseball has done uh, with far more travel than uh, than hockey or the NBA and uh, a little bit of rough going early with some teams with uh, multiple positive tests, but really not much lately. And I, th I think it's shown great discipline, great planning, um, hard to do, hard to get that many people in that in so many different places uh, to follow the same the same line, so to speak. And I think it's uh, it's a tribute to so many people that they've been able to have a, a season with very little interruption, except for St. Louis that had a lot of games to make up Miami, a little bit of the same. But by and large, it's, it's, I think it's remarkable that we are where we are. If you look back 12 months or even eight months, but I think it's remarkable where we are, too, in some ways, if you look back four or five months. Yeah, and 
Major League Baseball, the fact that they've been able to adapt as they go, and they reached out to the NBA, and they reached out to the NHL. How's the bubble working? And now the A's and everybody going to be in the postseason, we're now going to go into a bubble. Just how smart do you think? Because obviously working for the Sharks and following hockey, you know how well that bubble uh, has worked. How important is it for baseball to get in one of those bubbles? I think it is imperative at this point in time. Let's face it, you've got a very compacted postseason schedule. You've got an extra round of three games uh, for every team. You've got more teams involved. Um, so you, you really can't have a – let's go back to the St. Louis situation where they were, they were missing so many games, or, or Miami, so they were missing so many games. You have a playoff team that that happens to. How do you do that? I mean, you're going to really – you're going to shut down the entire postseason for a while. So you really have to guard against it. It's one thing in the regular season because you can make an adjustment here or there. If somebody's played a few less games, okay, you know you know you've got maybe three or four or five weeks to make them up or six weeks to make them up, or you've got another system that you could put in place. But when you're talking about the playoffs and how much is at stake uh, and how many players have really kind of sacrificed to get to this point in front offices and travel people and everybody – I don't think you can have any misstep right now. And I think that, that putting people in the bubble, so to speak, I think it's, it's a wise choice. Because uh, you look at the NBA and you look at the NHL, there's been no interruption. And that's what baseball needs to, to finish this thing off. You know, this is a, this is going to be a good series. And I remember down at spring training before we shut down, a lot of people said, hey, this could be a World Series preview between the Athletics and the Dodgers. You've been covering the Dodgers on television. How excited are you to see this kind of matchup, kind of, you know, two really good teams matching up right before the postseason? I think it's great. Um, I think it's great for baseball. I also think, you know, I, I wish Chapman was playing, as I'm sure a lot of Oakland people do. Um one of the things about the Dodgers this year, and they've been terrific, is that the competition has not been able to match up to them. Uh, San Diego has gotten better. It's been a couple of good series here and there. But by and large, this team is, is on a tremendous pace, probably 115, 116-win pace if you played 162. So of a historic nature. But the competition, in, in my opinion, has not, has not really been a match for it. Teams can pitch three, four, five innings. As the game gets longer, their pitching gets thinner. Dodgers grind out at best. They figure out a way to do damage, and they can almost win any game they play. So I think playing a team like Oakland, a really good team, excellent team, well-managed, well-put-together, I think that that is really what the Dodgers need at this stage because I'm, sure, I'm not sure the Dodgers know how good they're going to have to be as you get deep into October. they got a pretty good feel how good they need to be in the National League. But I don't think they have any idea if they're fortunate to get to the World Series, how good they're going to be, how good they're going to need to be. And I think that they're playing good competition. I think it, it shows you where you're at. I also think it only makes you better. Yeah, you're talking about the two best bullpens in Major League Baseball. And the kid you got uh, going tonight, May, uh, Ginger Guard, he's out there throwing 100. I mean, just the talent, Walker Bueller, the talent that the Dodgers have. And and, and what, Ned's, what's going on with Clayton Kershaw? He's back. He's 6-2 and two with a 2.15 ERA. I mean, my, I mean he's, he's looking like the Kershaw of old. You know what? I think he's healthy. I don't think he's always been healthy the last few years, and I think that uh, knowing him, having drafted him a long time ago now, back in in '06, uh, I've known him since he was 18 years old. That's kind of that's kind of crazy when I think about it. But it's 
he was always one of those guys that she had a fight to get off the mound. He would not take a DL or an IL now. He would not miss a start. He would not. He would. He would fight to consistently compete. And I think the last couple of years, while he did, and he spent a little bit of time on the IL, but it was probably a shorter period of time as as he would let himself stay. But I think this year, uh, I think since really the first ten days of the season, he's been so sharp with what he brings. I think his fastball's got a a little bit more life to it, maybe another mile per hour, which may or may not be a big deal, but the life of the pitch is, is stronger. I think the, the crispness of a slider is also a, a byproduct of that, and the curveball's been great. And let's not forget, the kid's got incredible intellect. He knows, you know, as every great pitcher that's won a lot of games knows, and this man's about 100 games over 500 lifetime, and I think the <laughs> highest winning percentage of any left-handed pitcher in the history of the sport, crazy. But, I mean, that's how good he's been. He knows how to pitch. And we, we see a lot of young guys come up, and they, they know how to throw. And they may have command from time to time, but, you know, pitching and throwing is, is two different parts of the craft. And he knows what he's doing. He's, he's always had intellect. He continues to refine it, and he competes like crazy. And now he's, he's, I think he's feeling better than he has probably in three seasons. So I think that has added up. To what you've seen. I think he's got a shot at winning a fourth Cy Young. Wow. That's, that's unbelievable. And also unbelievable is they're starting to get hot. If you look at Cody Bellinger and Mookie Betts and Justin Turner, I'm looking through these game notes and it's just, you know, over the last eight games, six games. So their offense is really starting to round and form right before the playoffs start. Well, in the case of Mookie Betts, uh, you know, you watch him from, you watch him from a distance when he's in the other league and you go, wow, this guy is really a good player. Probably top five in the game. Then you watch him play every day, and he might be top one or two in the game, depending on who you're talking to. The thing I, I really respect and, and uh, admire of how he plays is the attention to detail. There's nothing that slips by him. A secondary lead, uh, getting an extra, uh, moving just a, a, tad, a tad to the left or the right in the right field, uh, knowing where to throw, knowing where to throw to the cutoff man. All these little details that people think are, well, inconsequential, they make you a great player. There's no doubt there's a lot of players with a lot of talent. There, there's few in my history that have the attention to detail that he brings. And you talk about Justin Turner, he's, you got, you got Betts and Seeger going one-two in this lineup, right-handed, left-handed. If Betts wasn't on this team and the team had the same record, Seeger would be getting a lot of talk on MVP. He's been that good. And then you got you got Bellinger, who struggled a lot of the year, had a real good stretch, got hurt, come back, and he's starting to get a little bit hot right now. Uh, but Justin Turner doesn't get a lot of the the headline to it, but he sits right in the middle of it, and and he is such a stabilizer for your lineup, stabilizer for your locker room. Uh, he's become a very good third baseman. When we signed him back in '14, I signed him because I knew he could hit but I wasn't sure how good the defense was be. He could probably stand it short, play a little bit of second, a little bit of third. But to his credit, he went to work, and he's become a very good third baseman. He's not a Chapman. He's not an Arenado in the National League, but he's a very good player. And he's a stabilizer, and he's a leader, and he's really developed into all those things in the last five or six years. But uh, it's a very talented team. You know, you'll see it for the next three days. They will grind out at bats. They will make people work. For their outs, and if somebody makes a mistake defensively and gives them an extra out in an inning, 
usually they will find a way to make you pay for it. Ned, you've been in this game a long time, and you know the obstacles that the Oakland A's have from a front office standpoint, but yet they don't use that as an excuse. Six out of nine years, the A's have been to the playoffs under Bob Melvin. Since Billy Bean took over, it's 11 out of 21. I mean, when you sit and look at the success that the A's have had, and you know kind of the pitfalls and the hurdles that they have, do you just marvel how many times these guys end up making the postseason? All the different names, all the different players, but there's just one constant. They're always tough. There's no doubt. And I think they, um, I have so much respect. And I miss the Bay Area for a lot of reasons, but uh, some of it was running into Billy and, and David Force. And uh, they're smart. They're really diligent with what they do. They are, they are precise in, in their thought process. And not everybody's going to be perfect. And, but I do think that they really maximize everybody's ability, including, including Melvin's ability. I think they've given him a chance to really become as good as he can be. I think leadership is about that in so many ways. It's really about whoever you lead, that you lead in such a way that they can be as good as they can possibly be. So there's no regret and there's no, hey, what if? And I think a lot of the Oakland teams play like that. They play to the top of their ability. They play hard. They don't don't take shortcuts. I think playing in the Coliseum is kind of a – while it's a curse in many ways, I think it reminds me of some of the giant teams uh, that I was a part of and some of the giant teams that I competed against when I was with the Cubs. You know, that, that environment, it's a tough place to play sometimes. And I think that, that they probably, while they wish they had a brand new stadium and all the luxuries that go with it, you know, there's a little bit of grit to the personality of the place and there's a little bit of grit to the personality of the team. And I think maybe one one feeds the other in, in some ways. But, uh, you know, I, I miss talking to Billy all the time. And he and I had some tremendous conversations through the years, both when I was uh, in San Francisco, then when I moved down to L.A. But uh, you always know that you're going to find a team that is, is well, well schooled and they will they will make you pay, too, if you make a mistake along the way. No, oh, there was there was nothing worse than those freezing nights at Candlestick Park. Oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> How about it? I didn't you know I, I went there for 13 years there my Cub career, you know, for two series a year and then he had 89 playoffs. Uh, but when you when you went to work there 81 games a year, oh my goodness! But you know what? We turned it into an advantage too when we could, because we were a little bit more accustomed to it. But yeah, you're right. It was a, it was a rugged place to be, especially in the middle of the summer. <laughs> yes, it's, it's July, and the fog. Everywhere else in the country, it's warm, it's humid, and the the fog is coming over into the stadium. It's the only place in the country. Oh gosh, we used to sit there, Brian and uh, Dick Tidgell, man, and you could you could count the people coming in. You know, you because he had those long aisleways at Candlestick Park from the concourse down to the the first couple rows, long long aisles. And we used to go, you know, we, we got a good team. The 97 team was really a great team that played hard. And you'd have 10,000, 12,000 people and about 6,000 blankets, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'll good never memories, though. Good memories. Yep. Ned, it's always great to catch up with you. Uh, love seeing your team. You know, not we love you having you with the Sharks, but uh, the TV success and Emmy Awards, it's uh, your TV star now. Oh, I don't know about that. I just, you know, the only thing I really know is baseball and hockey, and I'm not sure how much of that I know. But, you know, like they say, fake it till you make it. Well, I'm still talking about it. So 
all is good. I appreciate being out with you, Chris. Yeah, be well, be safe, and we'll talk in the playoffs. Thank you. All the best. The great Ned Coletti joining us here on A's Cast Live. What a run those guys had in San Francisco, and then what he's done in Los Angeles, and then now he's a, a scout for the Sharks, Commander. You talk about versatility. Yeah, and he's been doing it. You know, this you know it's been a weird year for him with the Sharks, with everything going on, and obviously the Sharks weren't in the bubble in Edmonton, so uh, they you know, it's the first time in a long time we were talking about the Sharks not being in the playoffs. I know it happened a couple of years ago under Todd McClellan, but you know they made some news today. They resigned their coach they had from you know early this year. They took over for Peter DeBoer, so he's staying. And it's gonna be interesting to see what happens when hockey comes back because the story we were talking about this last week. We don't know when basketball is going to start. Apparently, Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, said it could start in 2021 and be a normal season. So who knows when we're going to see hockey because if hockey follows the same model, we might not see hockey and basketball back until the start of you know 2021. So uh, How are you going to do that? Yeah, it's because you're replaying. I mean, you, start, you start messing up your schedule for a couple of years. See, that's the thing that, that that's so different about baseball is that you can play doubleheaders. And here's the thing when we start talking about these bubbles is there, they didn't have to, they didn't have to replicate a season. That was, that was the main difference. They had played over 75% of the NBA in the NHL season. You had to, you had to start a season and to tell all these guys to go in a bubble for months wasn't going to work. But now that you see it's working and you can go to the players association. You can tell everybody, Hey guys, we're trying to keep you safe. We're trying to get through the postseason. So do we have the exact details? Cause we, you know, Chris Bassett's going to mention it a little bit later that when you get at back from LA, that whoever wants to be in the bubble, wife, kids, whatever, you're going to have to join the bubble and no going out. I know families have to quarantine. I believe, if I saw this correctly, families have to quarantine if they're going to be in it. So you're going to have to – and I have to get more data and more information on it because, I, I mean, obviously we're not in the bubble. So we're not – No. Unfortunately, we're not going to be at, at the Coliseum for the first three games of the uh, the wild card series, which would have been awesome. But, you know, we did that last year. Uh, I have to find more information. I'm sure – I don't know if what's really even out there completely yet on how they're going to handle the bubble, but I'm sure more stuff will come out throughout the you know the week or so because we got to what next Tuesday is when this when the uh first playoff well, game will we'll, start we'll find that we'll, we'll we'll get the exact details when we have David Forrest on this week now we'll be able to say okay uh who are you looking at first three who are you how's this bubble gonna work take us through it and because I don't want to speculate because I have no I you know like like you said there th- th- there's changes being made on a daily basis. And for a sport that usually isn't flexible on just about anything, I think Rob Manfred was the right commissioner to have around because he he's able to be flexible. And they've been able to make changes. And they've been able, for the most part, to keep their guys healthy. And like Ned just said, it's pretty incredible that the NHL and NBA and these guys are not testing positive because we we got to get through this and then you just hold on for what could be I mean who knows what the offseason's going to look like you know you've, if you still have a lot of stuff shut down and you don't have much of an economy 
and your your CBA is done. And Tony Clark and Manfred, you know, maybe just maybe cross our fingers that everybody will be a little bit more um, about doing what's right and getting a deal done and getting baseball started once again in 2021 and not haggling over a lot of issues that really don't need to be. The game. The game's in a good spot. A lot of guys are making money. A lot of guys. A lot of extensions are out there. And there's the television contracts. And there's, you know, so, you know, don't shoot the golden goose. That's not smart. And that's not going to be, if you pull a power play to where you're willing to say, shut it down. Because that's, that's ultimately what happens. You know, whether it's a lockout or a strike, the American public is not going to have a whole lot of patience for that. You know, if Tony Clark's coming to the table saying, you know, we don't we don't have enough hundred million dollar contracts. You know, guys in their you know early thirties, late thirties aren't making millions upon me- tone deaf. No one's going to want to hear that. No one's going to want to hear about labor strife anytime soon. And you will lose the audience so fast. So maybe, just maybe, they'll be smart, come together, be quiet about it, get a deal done that works for both sides. Everybody's beak's got to get wet. Everybody's got to feel like they won. I mean, look what, and and this would, and Ray Fossey and I are going to fly to New York and help this, by the way, if you didn't know that. We're going to try and get in the room with them and be like, guys. (laughs) They're they're looking to add they're looking to add two teams. So that's just not that's just not a twenty five man roster or a twenty six man roster. That's two more triple A, double A, single A, high A, rookie. I mean, you're adding jobs. Baseball is looking to add more jobs. If you're the players' union, you want that. They're looking for the universal DH. Well, that's a that's a high-paying job. So there's a lot of wins out there that Major League Baseball can give to the players' union. I mean, that's – I think that's a no-brainer. Get the deal done. You know, they set up baseball years ago so that guys, when they were older, would get paid. No, it's the young guys that need to get paid. You want to pay them when they're in their prime. I don't want to pay them when they're 34, 35. I'll give you a great example. I would have rather paid Madison Bumgarner years ago than now pay him what he's making now in Arizona, and he's literally the worst pitcher in the league. He's given up 13 home runs this year. His ERA going to the last start was over 10. He's been brutal. You think he's going to get better as he gets older? I mean, good luck with that. And and that's what these front offices, they're smart. They know. These guys aren't getting better as they get older, so why do I want to pay them? I thought this was an interesting note. And who's coming up next, Cody? Who do we got? Uh, The great Rick Sutcliffe will be next. Oh, Sut. Rick Sutcliffe calling the game tonight for ESPN. Former NL Cy Young Award winner. World Series champion will join us, the big right-hander. World Series champ since 2010. How have they fared the next year? 
The San Francisco Giants won it in 2010. They did not make the postseason the next year. The 2011 Cardinals won it. They did make the postseason in 2012. The Giants in 2012, they would win the World Series again, but then then they would not make the postseason again. Then the Red Sox would win in 2013, and then 2014, no postseason. Giants would come back and win in 2014, no postseason 2015. The Royals would win in 2015, no postseason in 2016. 2016 Cubs would win the World Series. They'd lose in the NLCS in 2017. Astros win in 2017. They'd lose in 2018 in the ALCS. And then the Red Sox, who won it in 2018, no postseason in 19. And now the Nationals, who won it in 2019, will not be going to the postseason in 2020. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven of the World Series teams dating back to 2010, they do not go to the postseason the very next year. I heard a stat on the the uh, Nationals winning percentage this year. If they don't finish the year with a 400 winning percentage this year, it'll be the, I think, second lowest since the 98 Marlins, who at the year after they won the World Series, will have the lowest winning percentage for a World Series champion the next season. Yes, it's a truncated season. The Nats don't have Strasburg. Although Juan Soto is uh, putting up Barry Bonds-like numbers, he could very well win the NL MVP uh, for how well he's played. But remember, he missed some games early because of a, a uh, the COVID-19 test. I think it was a false positive or something along, along those lines. But Yeah, yeah the- what ended up happening with that? Like, he couldn't uh, – he kept taking tests and one's good, the other's negative. I mean, it was kind of a – I mean, the, the testing process, I mean – who was it? Was it Dickerson with the Giants tested positive? Then he found out it was it, it was he, he actually wasn't positive. They had a I don't, I, I don't remember who the player was, but they did have that false positive. Um, but yeah, it, Soto's whole thing was weird. He's only played in forty games, and in forty games he's hitting three forty eight. He has an OPS of one thousand one hundred fifty one, an OPS plus of two hundred three. He has eleven homers, thirty two RBIs. He's walked thirty three times and struck out twenty four. He's having a great year for only playing in forty games, and then that's of. Well, they struggled because those guys they banked on last year, the Howie Kendricks and the Azubu Cabreras and the Arado Paras who's playing in Japan, like the guys they banked on to have big years last year for them, they're expecting to have big years for them this year. They 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 haven't stepped up. So uh, they'll be back. The Nats always find a way to, with that pitching and the young guys they have coming up, they'll be fine. That's a tough division for them to try to bounce back next year. And it kind of took away all that luster of them celebrating that World Series title this year with no fans and and everything else. And this just came down. I got an update that Rob Manfred is pressing ahead with plan to have fans at the uh, the uh, the AL and NLCS in the World Series. Oh, no, sorry, the NLCS because it's in Houston. It's in Texas. So fans at the NLCS and the World Series. Didn't say how much, but they're looking to have some fans because we saw, like, the Cowboys had, like, what, they have, like, 20,000 fans at their game the other day? Like, it's just crazy. Then the Texans had none. So every, every place is different. I, I, I said it last week and I actually talked about it today with uh, the professor, Matt Pearl. There's that college football coach who I believe is either going to be like at USC, UCLA, Cal, or Stanford. He's a Pac-12 coach and said he's talked with the other coaches around the country, and it's like we live in a different world. I mean, I turned on Notre Dame football two weekends ago when they were playing Duke. I went, oh, my God, look at all the people in the stands. 
Then it was Florida State against Georgia Tech. And now you're watching football games. There's people in the stands. There was opening night. It was the uh, Texans Chiefs. Yeah, well, now you're seeing what Notre Dame's not playing this weekend. They're getting postponed because seven players on their team tested positive for COVID. Mike Norvell, the head coach of Florida State, has COVID, I believe. And he's quarantined. He's quarantined. Yeah. <laughs> so they're, but I'm not saying that's because there are fans there. It's just, you know, unfortunate oh, stuff. I but mean, you're, you're seeing fans in different places. Like the Browns and Bengals are allowed to have fans, but the Steelers and Eagles can't, and they're one state over. I mean, California, obviously, we have the most people. But we've had some of the strictest guidelines, and we still have the most positive tests of any state. Yeah, I think I saw today there's 76 new cases in Santa Clara County just for us. There's like 20,500 total. And, like, happened. we can't go anywhere. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's eye-opening for me when I went to Pennsylvania and came back. Like, you can go and sit down. Well, I didn't do it because I, I, I don't know what that's like to go sit down in a restaurant anymore. But uh, it's, it was just crazy. It's a whole different world from going to East Coast to West Coast right now. Yeah. I mean, even Southern California, Northern California. Yeah. Because we've got, we've got people in our restaurant in San Diego, but we don't have people in our restaurant in Walnut Creek. What, it's a whole different. Which, is, that Contra, is that Contra Costa, Walnut Creek? What county is that? Al, I, I believe Alameda. Because Alameda just, it just came out earlier today that Alameda and a couple other counties can now have indoor dining. Really? Yeah. So... If I read, that's what I think it was on, like the Chronicle or something had it, and NBC, NBC, like local news had it. Um, so we'll see when that starts opening, when you can actually start doing that. But and even like schools, when kids can go back into school. So we're seeing, starting to see a little more, but nothing in our neck of the woods just yet in Santa Clara County. We're gonna have no fans at Petco. We're gonna have no fans at Dodger Stadium, but we're gonna have fans in Houston and in Arlington. Yeah. <laughs> Explain that. To me. It's crazy. All right, coming up next. Rick Sutcliffe from ESPN. He's calling the game tonight. How about that? Boog Shambi in New York. Chipper Jones in Atlanta. And Rick Sutcliffe in San Diego. All doing a television broadcast together. We'll talk about it next. Right here on A's Cast Live. The home of the 2020 American League West champions. Broadcasting from the town. A's Cast Live continues. division title belongs to the Oakland Athletics. Celebration time at the Coliseum. So that was the call of the game from 2013 by Glenn Kuyper on NBC Sports California. For live streaming A's games, get the My Teams app by NBC Sports, plus tons of A's articles, features, videos, and more. Download My Teams by NBC Sports now, the app for the authentic A's fan. Boom. By the way, Contra Costa County. I had a bunch of people texting me that, too. Huh? (laughs) I had a bunch of people texting me about that, too. (laughs) Oh, man. Seven games left. That's it? There's only seven games left. This wild, wild season. But the one thing that's great about the A's is that first series going to be at home because the A's 
are dominant at home. They had one of the best home season in franchise history. They won 20 of 28 games at home this year versus the road where they're 13 and 12. Three left, though, on the road. You want to finish 500. Or you want to finish a game over 500. Win a series down in L.A. against the Dodgers. Hey, this Dodger team is stacked. If you haven't been following the Dodgers, I mean, they, they, they just, they pound people. Their run differential, like Oakland's, is plus 56. They're plus 119. And this Padre team's not a bad team. We saw that. They just can't hang with the Dodgers. Rick Sutcliffe, who's going to be calling the game for ESPN, we caught up with him earlier today. Well, now joining us, he was the National League Cy Young Award winner, the National League Rookie of the Year, a three-time All-Star, a Roberto Clemente Award winner, led the National League in wins, the AL and ERA. The great Rick Sutcliffe is with us here on A's Cast Live. How are you, Rick? You know what? I'm doing well. Uh, It's a pleasure to be with you. Um, Always enjoy talking baseball, particularly with, uh, you know, a couple of teams that, that have a chance to win it all. Yeah, it's exciting times. I, I mean, it's the only thing that's you know keeping us going during these trying times. But the A's winning and playing every day and winning the division for the first time since 2013. But what I've been saying to everybody is this is truly a tournament. And in a tournament, everybody has a puncher's chance. Chris, you're exactly right. And, you know, the thing I think about with everything that's gone on um, since spring training was shut down and all of a sudden we start back up and then Miami has problems and St. Louis has problems. I mean, I, I got to be real honest with you. There was a lot of doubt, I think, and, and a lot of our minds as to whether we would get to this point. And, um, you know, uh, we, we were talking about it earlier, how everything's different. Um, you start off, the, obviously, the very first thing is uh, playing a sport without fans. Um, it, it just doesn't seem to make any sense whatsoever. Um, as Tim Kirchin was writing earlier today, it's, for a lot of people, it's just not fun. But I'll be real honest with you. When, when finally we had a live sporting event on television, and it was golf probably, I don't know, three months ago or whatever, I'm normally a guy that will go play golf, and then I'll, I'll tape it and come back and watch it later on in the evening. I sat there and watched all four days, every moment of it, because I missed it that much. And, you know, Chris, like we were talking, even though uh, I'm going to be down in my basement broadcasting the game tonight um it's an honor to be a a part of something like that a small part uh bringing a live event to somebody because i know how much i enjoyed it yeah i mean even today i was watching the uh tiger woods event where they have rory out there and uh, jt and they're showing off his new course and like yeah stuff that i normally wouldn't watch i'm watching more than ever (laughs) and then i'm thinking about this this is a really good matchup. And end of, this, end of the season, you know, we've been calling it iron sharpens iron. I think it's good for the A's, and I think it's good for both the Dodgers to be playing some stiff competition right before you hit the playoffs. What do you think of that? I, I totally agree with you. And, and the thing that's exciting for me is that, the, you know, the off day yesterday for both of the teams, so there's a lot of guys that, that, that are going to want to get their at-bats. They're going to go out there. Uh, we got a couple of, of outstanding right-handers on the mound, and, uh, Frankie Montas, and you got Dustin May. Uh, yeah, I, I think 
I think this will be, to me, a little bit like spring training for the Dodgers and that, you know, a lot of their starters are going to want to get three or four at-bats. They know what they've got locked up. They know what they need to do and, and when they need to be ready to go. Uh, on the other hand, we know that Oakland's got a lot more involved. You take a look at where they're at in the standings. You're talking about the number one seed, which is possible. Right now, as we know, they sit in the third seed. Uh, you know, we know how well they played at home all year long. I, I just think that uh, this is probably a little bit bigger game for Oakland, and I think because of that, uh, I think it'll be managed that way by Bob Melvin. How about the Dodgers? I mean, they're, they're, they're a powerhouse. Their run differential is amazing. Uh, when you look at winning the division, eight straight years in the National League West, of course, that's never been done. Only the Braves and Yankees have had a better run than that. But just talk about the firepower and, and what a incredible roster they have in Los Angeles. You know what, Chris, I'll give you a little key to what my part of the Open will be tonight, okay? You mentioned the eight consecutive division title, right? Right, you got that. The first person you think of, Chris, for the Dodgers is who? Cody Bellinger. I I mean, yeah, you think of Bellinger and what he's done, but over those last eight years, I mean, it'd be Clayton Kershaw. I know know you agree with that. Yeah. But think about this. It started in 2013. Remember halfway through the year when they called up Yasiel Puig? Number oh, yeah. 14, yeah, when, when, when D. Gordon came from their farm system with all of his stolen bases, 15, it was Jock Peterson became an all-star. 16 and 17, Corey Seager and Bellinger were rookies of the year. And 18, it was Ross Stripling who became an all-star. 19, we know last year, Walker Bueller stepped up and became a big-time player. This year, to me, the, the guy that came from their farm system that's having a huge impact on what they're doing. And we, we know this year's different than, than, than all of the others. But to me, it's Dustin May, the guy that's going to be on the mound. So to, to, to answer your question and your point to me about the Dodgers and how they've been so great over the last eight years, yeah, Clayton Kershaw has been a big part of that. But, you know, you no, not one person can – it's not golf. It's not tennis where you can do it by yourself. I think that farm system – bringing up and having at least one impact player every year has been the real key to the run that they're on right now. Can I steal that from you for uh, our pregame tonight? Absolutely. You throw (laughs) it out there now, and then when they hear me say it, they're all going to say that, hey, Sutcliffe stole that from Chris earlier today. Oh, no, no, no. You're too great. I I will give you the credit for it. I just – it is a really great point. Uh, just the depth that they've had, their 40-man roster, their minor league system, and I think that's why it's now, for everybody, they need to win a title. They haven't won a title since they beat the A's in 1988. They've had all that success. The only thing they're missing is that ring. Let me throw a story at you. Um, Years ago, I'm in the Yankee Clubhouse opening day after they had won, Derek Jeter had won his fifth World Series. And Yogi Berra was there. And I was lucky that uh, I'd been on a bunch of Nike trips uh, with Derek Jeter. I was able to stay in there when a lot of the other media were, were asked to leave. And Yogi Berra walked up and, and just, you know, respectfully said, way to go, kid. Congratulations. He goes, now you're halfway there. And you know what he meant. You know that a lot of baseball fans know that Yogi Berra won 10 World Series. And Derek Jeter looked up and he said, Yogi, he says, with total respect he goes i just want to tell you that when you won those 10 world series you had to win 40 postseason games we've already won almost 60 postseason games so to your point that you made earlier 
you know, you think about all the titles and things that the great teams won in the past. It's so much more difficult now. You know, you, you needed four wins back then. Then all of a sudden you needed 11. And, and I don't even know. I can't even count with the – I think it's going to be 12 or 13 wins that you're going to have to have now after you qualify to get into the postseason. So um, it's just become more difficult. But I'll be honest with you, as a fan, I, I think it's even become more exciting. Well, and I've been talking to a lot of the A's people about this because, you know, we're all at our homes. We're not traveling around like these guys are. And to think that, you know, from COVID to the social injustice to, you know, the A's potentially are going to run into a hurricane in Houston. And then, as you know, being out here out west, the air quality, this has been such a brutal season on these guys. I really hope people, whoever wins it, people don't say, ah, they only played 60 games. This could potentially be the toughest world series ever to win because you're now in a tournament plus all that stuff i brought up and you know as tim kirkson's writing that hey this isn't any fun i mean whoever wins is going to be that's going to be a tough roster right there i could not agree with you more and you know the first thing that we all think about is is what's going on in our country right now and how there are so many issues that that are far more important than playing baseball but um, I, 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 I said all along when this thing picked up again and people said, um, you know, it's not going to be the same. The World Series champions not going to be looked at like they have in the past. Let me throw one thing else on you. In 1981, I was a member of the Dodgers. Um, all of a sudden, we won the first half. Then we went on strike for almost two months. When we came back, the team that won the second half, you know, if you won the first half, it didn't matter. You played the team that won, that finished second in your division. So we played 53 games, I believe, and then it, if we picked it up again, it was 58 games or something like that. And a lot of people thought that that championship was going to be tarnished. Well, no, it's not, because everybody knows it was the Dodgers against the Yankees. The Dodgers were down two games to none. Fernando Valenzuela, like he had done all year, stepped up big time with, with a victory there. Uh, I, I think in a lot of ways, and I said this from the very beginning, that this year could possibly look at like 1981 was. And I know when people look back on 81, as a baseball fan, you look back on it with a lot of excitement. You, you, you still got a beautiful World Series ring, right? I did. And my wife has a beautiful pennant that goes on her neck. And, uh, you know, it, it's much fun, as much pride as I take in that one. I'll be honest with you, I, I was blessed back in 2016. I've been a guest instructor, Chris, with the Chicago Cubs since Theo Epstein took over. And I, I'm in spring training every year, and, you know, I go to Wrigley every chance I get. Uh, unbelievable that uh, before the ceremony was over, the night that everybody got their rings, the players and coaches and all, uh, Theo brought up Eddie Vedder, uh, obviously the lead singer of Pearl Jam. He brought up Eddie because he's been a lifelong Cub fan, being there in Chicago when, when, he, when he grew up. Uh, Eddie and I got a ring at the same time. So, uh, I take a lot of pride in that one. I, I know that I did everything I could to bring a World Series uh, ring to the Chicago Cubs. Couldn't get it done, but the team that's out there right now, a lot of those guys are the guys that did get it done. You know, let's end on this. Oakland doesn't get a ton of national coverage, but we've had some conversations with some players who just say, you know what, the reason why we're here, and you could really say the last couple of years, but really this year, because the year has been so tough, that Bob Melvin has been the rock for this team because there's been so many issues. You know, we don't know what guys have issues away from the field, let alone your issues with the field and all this stuff going on. But these players are saying 
they would not be where they are right now if it wasn't for the leadership of Bob Melvin. How is he? I know he's won manager of the year three times, but how do people inside the game view him as a skipper? I think the number one thing that you think of with Bob is, is the respect that I hear from his players. And I have. I have since he took over. I think it was around the middle or towards the end of, of 2011. Uh, I think of his honesty and how he's able to be honest with players about, you know, you can do this and you can't do that. I think about how he has to have uh, a, a, a deeper bullpen than most of the other teams have to have because he doesn't have the, the big-name starters. They don't bring in, you know, the Garrett Coles and, and, and the guys like that. So he's got to be able to, to, to finish the game. A lot of times after the fifth inning where a lot of the other managers try to hold it down in the, in the eighth and ninth. But the one thing that I think of uh, about Bob Melvin is, as I thought of with a lot of former catchers who have become great managers, is that the, the two things they know, they know how to handle a bullpen because a lot of times as a backup catcher, you're down there in the bullpen. When the phone rings, you know what's going on. Those guys converse it. But he, here's two things. He knows how to get a pitcher, a starting pitcher deep into a ball game because he's done that. And he also knows what it's like to be swinging a hot bat and to be struggling as a player. So he has the respect from both of those guys when he brings you into his office to talk about something. And, you know, he pinches, I believe, you know, again, this year, as much as anybody has anywhere at any time. But it's not because he doesn't like the person that's up there. It's because he's got a hunch in his own mind, and he's also got statistics to back it up. Rick, I grew up watching you play. So much respect, and uh, you as a broadcaster as well. We'll be watching you tonight on ESPN. Be well, be safe, and let's talk in the postseason. Yeah, you know, if the A's are in the World Series, you've got my phone number. You know where to find me, buddy. Rick Sutcliffe. He was good. He's a great broadcaster. I really enjoy him. And I think he makes a great point there. You know, these guys that were catchers, and maybe you weren't a starting catcher. So you did spend time warming guys up in the bullpen, really understanding it. They understand pitchers. I thought, I, I, Cody, I thought he made a great point there. Because Bob wasn't a star player. But Bob was, I mean, you get to see all of it, right? I mean, if you're just the, the rock catcher that's out there every single day, you're a great player. That's one thing. But when you're not, you get to you get you get to learn how to manage the game and manage a pitching staff. You kind of understand that as somebody who spends time in the bullpen, spends time in, in the dugout, and being a catcher and not playing every day, but playing, but not playing every day. Yeah, and two of the best examples of the managers they get a lot of respect in the game, and they're both friends of our program. One is Bob Melvin. Obviously, Bob wasn't a star player, and he wasn't always a starting catcher. The other guy is uh, our good friend Cashy, Kevin Cash. He also was not a star catcher either, but he knows how to manage a bullpen. He knows how to manage the, the personalities on the team. And having to trust your players is something that's very important for managers. And that's why a lot of these guys love Bob, and they love what he's able to do as a leader. That's why a lot of people like Kevin Cash. A lot of people like Tito Francona in Cleveland. It's the guys that, that, that can get along with the, their, their players and trust the guy. They have the guys trust them. Ron Gardner, I wouldn't say was the greatest Detroit Tigers manager of all time, but when he was with Minnesota, he got guys to buy in, and he had a great. He was a great people person, and that's why you know he stepped away. What was it last week? You know he's retired abruptly, but he. Those are the guys that are the managers that I, if I was a professional baseball player, 
I'd love to play for the guys that can connect with their players better than anyone and manage the personalities in the, in the clubhouse and out on the field as well. Well, and there's another front of the program that you have not mentioned that had success as a manager but really didn't play all that much. Dave Roberts? Uh, Dave Roberts was an outfielder. Well, I'm saying he's a guy. Well, yeah, Bochy too, but I was just thinking of guys that didn't play as much as uh, someone. Well, Aaron Boone didn't play as much either, He's but he's not a friend of the program. Bruce Bochy was essentially, he would play on Sunday. That's back in the day where your, your starting catcher would go Monday through Saturday and your backup catcher would go on Sunday to give you the break. Yeah, Bruce Bochy. You go look at his statistics. He didn't play a whole heck of a lot. So there, 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 there's something to that. Even Joe Girardi's another one too. Girardi's a good manager, and he was a, a backup he catcher. A lot. Yeah, but I, I like, I always, but I do like the idea that catchers make the best managers. You've seen a lot of guys or former catchers become man. No, they're not always the best managers. The, I wouldn't say Brad Osmus is the greatest manager of all time, or Mike Matheny, or. Uh, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the other one. Uh, was it Mike Redmond or Mark Redmond? One of them was a catcher. I think it was at the Marlins as their manager. Like those guys, they got a shot because they were former catchers and they understand the game. But the guys like Boach and, and Bob Melvin and Kevin Cash, they, they get it. And they know how to manage a bullpen and manage a staff and personality. So that's why they've been around the game a long time so far. And Cash, he's only in his early 40s. Do you want numbers – that are going to scare you about Frankie Montas. I mean, I think. Can we, you I mean, handle that? I think. I mean, I, I can, but I think we have to put it out there for everyone to know. Okay, Frankie Montas over his last five starts, one and three, with a ten point eight zero ERA. This start here means everything for him. Because if you get the ball over the weekend and throw well against the Mariners, that's not going to influence me whatsoever. It's this start today. When you're one and three with a 10.80 ERA in your last five starts versus his first four starts, two and one with a 1.57. So he got out to the hot start, then had the neck stiffness. And hopefully he's refreshed. He just had a baby. I believe it's his second child with his wife. But you're, you know, you're running, you're running out of opportunities to show why you should or should not be pitching in the playoffs. I mean, seven games left. And I if 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 I had to bet, it's not about my opinion. If I had to bet what the front office was thinking, I would bet there's two guys who have locked up a spot in the uh, in the first series, the wild card series. You want to take an attempt at that, Commander? I would say uh, Mike Fires would be one. And no. Oh, all right. Uh, the guy that's going to join us next on this program, Bassey, Chris Bassett. Correct. So I we're trying to pick the other guy, Lazardo. Yeah, I think if you if you could go, hey David, let's have a little chat. What what are you and Billy talking about? And I I I would bet just knowing them, 
It'd be Bassett and Lizardo. One and two. I don't think, I do not. Now, this is my opinion. I do not throw him out there game one. Just do not. I mean, it's just that this, this is going to be, this is a tall order. The hottest guy you got going right now is Chris Bassett. And he's got, and as he's going to tell you coming up here in a couple minutes, he's got confidence right now. You want him to lead you out there. And then Lazardo in game two. I just don't, you know, I, I game three, is it Fires? Is it Manaya? Is it Montas? It's not going to be minor. It's a tough call because this game's the do it's a do or die game. Well, game two could be do or die if you lose game one. Remember last week we talked about how the, the hypothetical going around for the White Sox was do you intentionally it almost sounds like do you just like throw game two knowing that you could have you know you could have Dallas Keiko pitch game three? Me, you try to win every game you can. Bro, not- you try and get out of the gate. You want you you want you want two games and then get on the plane to head to as of right now would be Dodger Stadium. Yeah, you don't wanna you don't wanna go you don't wanna throw Bassett and potentially win or lose, say you win, then you're like, Okay, we're gonna throw bullpen game and then if that doesn't work we'll throw Lazardo out there. No, you wanna win those first two games to get on a plane and leave. Or worst case scenario, you lose game one, then you want to throw your best guys out there to win the next two. The only thing about you said the hot guy, the hottest guy will get the ball. Unfortunately, we saw that last year, and it didn't work out in the A's favor, unfortunately. But I think Bassett's had a longer stretch of sustainability this season that I think it's, it could carry into the postseason, where Manai only had what six starts going into that that final and going to that wild card game, so it could be a little different. But I I, I like what the way Bassett's pitching. I mean, he's been great. He has been. He's been a rock for you. I mean, if he doesn't lead him out, I, I I don't know who would. I mean, you can say Lazardo's got the stuff, but I mean, he is so green. He is so young. And you know how we we we've bantered around what we would actually do with him. We know that's not going to happen, uh, as David Forrest has said. He is a starter. To where I, I honestly think he could maybe be more valuable as a guy coming out of the pen in two of the three games. But they're not going to do that. Who's the third guy? These are the tough decisions because the A's got to get out of this round. They have to get out of this wild card round. Now, the only way they get to San Diego is that they, they have to be the number one seed. And what's the lead right now? Tampa's got three more wins than the A's do. Yeah, they 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 have I think thirty six wins, and then I think the White Sox have a game over the A's. But the White Sox are actually playing the Indians right now. And like I mentioned to you before we started the show, the playoffs right now. If it ended today, it would be all divisional games in the first round. It'd be yeah, uh, Rays, Jays, um, what Rays, Jays. Indians, Indians, White Sox, A's, Astros, and it'd be Yankees. So the only one wouldn't be Yankees and um, who am I drawing a blank on? Yankees, uh, Twins, which the Twins can't beat the Yankees in the playoffs as they've lost like 13 in a row to the Yankees in the playoffs. So maybe the Twins will get their revenge. Who knows? But the the main, the one, two, three seeds will be playing teams from their own division in the first round, which could be interesting because they those are the guys that have seen those teams the most this season. And 
I, 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 the, the score in the White Sox, the Indians have the, their Indians are one nothing, but the White Sox have the bases loaded with one out in the fifth inning. So I'll keep an eye on that game for you. And the only other game I'm paying attention to is the Nationals are beating the Phillies again, which helps my Marlins and being the only person on planet Earth that had the Marlins going to the playoffs this year hopefully comes true. There is a chance the A's could get the two seed. If they keep winning and Cleveland keeps knocking off the White Sox, they could get the two seed, especially since you got four against the Mariners here at the end of the year. Yeah, and the Rays finished the season against the Phillies. So, I mean, anything's possible. They can still get the number one seed, but the the Rays are playing the Phillies in the last couple games of the year. And I'm, excuse, oh, they're playing the Mets uh, today. That's what I mean, at least they played yesterday. Jacob DeGrom, 14 strikeouts, and the Mets couldn't win the game for him. So, just another Mr. Outlier start for the Mets. Just another outlier. Coming up next, he's not an outlier. Chris Bassett's going to join us right here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Ramon Laureano. And the throw is going to be in time at the plate. Laureano firing a strike all the way on the line. And you're listening to A's Cast, your 24-7 destination for A's baseball. Ramon getting a little day off today. So back-to-back days, been struggling a little bit. It's going to be Listella, Grossman, Simeon, Olson, Canna, Lamb, Piscotti, Kemp, and Murphy. And oh yeah, that guy Lamb hitting 364, two jacks, seven RBIs in seven games since joining the A's. I think that is pretty good. Also been pretty good. Chris Bassett, five and two with a 2.57 ERA, 11 starts. So, he no, no, he's got 10 starts. He'll have a shot for number 11 when the Athletics take on the Seattle Mariners. So you got Frankie going tonight, Mania going Wednesday, Fires going Thursday. Urias and Bueller for the Dodgers the next two days. Ginger Guard will be going tonight. And this dude blows smoke. And it moves. And he's nasty. And he's got red hair going everywhere. I can't wait to see the the his nasty, his pitches. That, that two-seam he throws is ridiculous. I can't wait to see him pitch tonight. I just, you know what I don't understand? I, 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 how do they make the ball move throwing so hard? The guys I've seen do that, there's only been two that I've actually followed that have done it so well. It's him, and it's um, uh, Diego Castillo. So it's three. Diego Castillo and uh, Jose Alvarado, both relievers from the Rays. Those guys throw so hard, and the pitches move so much. I don't know how they do it. The ginger guard. I don't know how he does it. You don't have that much time to make it move when you're throwing it that hard. You're getting movement on a two-seamer that's 99 miles an hour. And remember, this isn't six feet, six inches. By the time these guys are releasing the ball out of their hands, how 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 tall? Ginger Guard's a pretty pretty good sized guy, right? Uh, he's only six six. Yeah, six. So by the time he's releasing the baseball, <laughs> things got to go fifty something feet. Yeah, and he relies on his sinker the most. Uh, that's what I was thinking of. He throws a sinker fifty one percent of the time. So now. They've used the opener for him, and then he's your bulk guy after that. Are we, we're sure he's starting tonight, right? Yeah, he is. 
his uh, average velocity on his uh, sinker, that or the turbo sinker is what they call it, the same pitch that Blake Trinan calls, who a little forward promotion will be joining us on Thursday at 315, so former A. Blake Trinan on Thursday. But he throws a turbo sinker. It's, its average velocity is 97.9 miles per hour. Um, good luck trying to hit that pitch. Let's when, just call it 98. Yeah, and his uh, four-seamer, it's only around a cool 99.2 miles an hour. Nothing, you know, no easy. It is just astonishing how many guys throw so hard. Like, it's not triple digits, 99, not a big deal. Not a big deal. I mean, that, that, that was stuff reserved for only a select group of guys. Now it's like everybody's doing it. The radar guy, you know, if you want to talk about things that have changed the game, one thing that truly changed the game is the radar gun. There's no question about it. All right. Earlier today, and we want to thank the A's PR staff for making this happen. Chris Bassett joined the program from down in Los Angeles at Chavez Ravine. Here is Seabass. Well, Chris, it's been a fantastic year for you and your teammates. Congratulations on winning the American League West for the first time for the Athletics since 2013. Thank you. Thank you. And we knew what your guys' goal was. And I mean, your goal is to win the World Series, but no more this wild card game. You wanted to win the division. And then, of course, things change and there is no one wild card game anymore. But what does it mean to you and your teammates to win the division and, and take down the Astros? Yeah, I mean, it means a lot. That was obviously the goal that we set out in the very beginning to to do was to win the division and then obviously go on to hopefully win a World Series. But um, obviously goal one is accomplished and now we have our sights set on the, the big trophy at the end. So what has this season been like for you? Because it's the best season you've ever had a, a, as a big league pitcher. Yeah, I mean, it's been really good. Um, I think I've learned to kind of calm the calm the game down. Obviously, no fans helps that a little bit. But, I mean, just uh, I feel like the game's just slowing down for me. Um, things that affected me in the past aren't really affecting me anymore. And... Uh, yeah, I just think, like I said, I think the, the game has slowed down where I'm not really getting sped up if a guy gets on or a leadoff double or whatever it may be. I'm, I'm kind of staying out of those big innings. Yeah, you've pitched out of jams, and just watching you, you look like a different pitcher. You look so much more confidence and uh, confident, I should say. Speak to that of just, I know you say it's slowing down, but just the, seems like you have just so much more trust in your stuff. Yeah, uh, I mean, as crazy as it is, I, I, I have the ability in, to kind of listen to Tony Kemp come over and the Astros approach versus me. And then uh, Lamb obviously comes over. And the guys that I've faced um, over the years um, and kind of get their approach and their mindset and their idea of how they faced me in the past. And um, I had a lot, a lot of talks with, with Tony about what Houston wanted to do against me and what their, their mindset was against me and stuff like that. And it, it kind of just freed me up. Uh, I mean, obviously, question one when Tony came over was, I mean, am I tipping pitches? Do you guys know what was coming at times? And I'm not talking about the extracurricular stuff. I'm, I'm literally talking from a baseball standpoint of was I tipping stuff? Was I being too – um, predictable and I mean just our talks were, were great and again I think just 
all those talks just freed my mind up of things that I thought in the past of what was going on. And like I said, I think the game just truly is slowing down for me. You know, I, I, I love hearing that. That's kind of like a football deal where you want to know how the other team wants to attack you. How do they prepare for you? What 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 are they looking for against you? So then now you know the mindset. And what's what doesn't happen a lot but has happened this year is taking guys from teams inside the division. You bring over Tommy Listella. You bring mm-hmm. over Kemp. I mean, you, 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 you know the blueprint that they have against you, and I think that's wonderful. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I completely forgot about Tommy, but again, Tommy comes over and literally the first thing that I mean, I talked to him about was, hey, Mike Trout, all those guys, uh, again, what what were they looking for? What were they doing? What's their approaches against me? Uh, as a team, I feel like you kind of have a, a standard approach against a, 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 a pitcher and kind of what was your guys' approach versus me? And uh, again, just talking with all those guys has, have, has made the game become a lot slower to me and just make it a lot more basic than just the complex, crazy thoughts that you kind of have as a rookie. And the biggest part is you're healthy and you feel great. You know, I I think about what you've overcome. We actually talked to Kendall Graveman about it, and I know he spoke Mm -hmm. to you. You know, when you finally feel healthy and you can trust it, it's got to be a wonderful feeling. Yeah, it's, it's a, a sense of accomplishment that I don't think you can really like replicate. I mean, I've talked to a lot of guys in the past that were helping me out. And then I've obviously talked to a lot of guys like Kendall that were going through stuff and just him bouncing off what he was going through, how he was feeling mentally, physically. And just, I mean, it's, it's an absolute grind. And I think people don't truly understand it unless you go through it. And then kind of once you get through it, it's like, my gosh, like, how much I appreciate not only being healthy, but the game and just the the normal grind of, of playing one, like playing catch day one or having a bullpen day two, just, that's just, you have the appreciation for the game way more than, than you ever had. And you think about how hard this year has been. I mean, I think about you guys and what you're going through, you know, you're de- dealing with COVID-19, the social injustice, there was a potential hurricane in Houston. Then the air mm-hmm. quality with the fires. I mean, it it, it it seems like it's been so hard. But I like when when they had uh, Sean Manaya mic'd up and you were sitting next to him. You guys have found some levity. You found some ways to start to have a little happiness and have a little fun. Whether uh, you're wearing that much under your uniform or not, at least you guys are are trying to have a good time because there's people coming out going, "Man, this season has just been brutal." Oh, I mean, it's. I think this has been just the most hectic year of, of almost anyone's life. Um, just because exactly what you said, I feel like every week something major that's happening that's different. And uh, now we're kind of trying to get everyone's families in this bubble for playoffs. And that's just an absolute just circus as it is. Um, but I mean, the one constant I feel like we have is just Bowmel. And I mean, I, I know it's kind of easy to talk about a head coach and all this stuff and how good he is, but the way that Bowmel has kind of approached us um, throughout all of these these like different things that have gone on and how he's kind of just steadied our minds and made it made it kind of easy for us to just play and not really worry about all the other stuff has 
made the season go by as smoothly as it possibly can. Um, kind of like what you said. I mean, it's, it, we've, we've dealt with so much stuff, um, especially being a California team with the fires and the air quality and all that stuff. But uh, again, Bowmel, I think, has done just an absurd job of just keeping us on track every single day and just being just the best coach you possibly can be. You know, I'm so glad you say that because everybody thinks it's just about analytics now. Everybody, th- you know, it's just in the numbers and you play the numbers. But the reality is, is someone has to lead the group. Someone has to steer the ship and mm-hmm. someone has to deal with the egos. Someone has to, I mean, you know, some guys have issues going off the field, let alone on the field. And somebody has to be that person that you can trust and you can rely on and he can lead. And to me, that's his biggest strength is he's such a great leader and communicator with you guys. No doubt. He, he, he has an uncanny ability of reading a room and basically knowing who he needs to talk to when, and when to talk to him and how to talk to him. And um, I know he's pulled a number of guys to the side throughout the year and just asked if they're okay um, from a personal standpoint or um, like the social justice standpoint or the fire standpoint or whatever it may be. And uh, I mean, again, I, I don't think he could have manage this year any better obviously the year is not over but i mean he's done an incredible job you know before we let you go what would it mean for you to be one of the starters in these three games and what would it mean for you to be the game one starter (laughs) i mean honestly i wouldn't i don't really care if i'm a starter or not i mean i know that may sound stupid but i mean at the end of the day, I, I, it doesn't mean much if I'm a starter and we get sent home early. So whatever the, the team kind of thinks is the best idea to go go forward and say, hey, um, we're running with these three starters or these, three, these four starters, and they say, hey, we want you in the bullpen. We think you're the best there right now for us. Then I'll go to the bullpen. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to be happy if we get sent home and lose and not win a World Series. If we win a World Series, I don't care if I'm a bench player, water boy, I don't, I don't give a damn what, we are, what I am. So, uh, yeah, starting would be cool, but at the same time, I mean, I am just hell-bound and determined to freaking win a World Series. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that's, that's the goal in mind. I don't really care about where I'm at. Yeah, well, that's why you're a winner, because you have that mentality, and that and that's how you do win championships. And, and just before I let you go, you know, uh, if you, when you get to either Dodger Stadium or down to San Diego, you know, in October at night, it starts to get cooler. You might need to put a little more clothing on. <laughs> yeah, uh, unfortunately, we just lost our last game, so I think the outfit is going to be changed a little bit. So uh, I'm going to put some underwear on this, this game, so we'll, we'll be good. <laughs> You're the best, my man. Be well, be safe. We can't wait to watch you in the postseason. Thank you. Chris Bassett. Gonna finally put some underwear on for the game. Should we join his next Zoom call after he after his next start uh and be like, uh, hey Chris, this is uh, you know, Cody and, and uh Townie here from Ace Cast. We don't know. Did you put underwear on down at Dodger Stadium? Because you told us you're going to. We need the hard-hitting facts. We don't want to know about your start. We need to know, did you put more clothes on? <laughs> you know, I just went through this uh, this Tim Kirkchen piece that he put out today that a lot of people in, in our game are, are addressing. And 
you know, I, I, I kind of, I kind of understand, you know, if you're, if you're, if you've gone about your career a certain way, this obviously is going to be tough for you as a media member. You know, he talks about, I had no idea what Zoom was. Uh, You know, you're having to do, your technology is how you're doing your job. And, you know, I, I understand it's hard, but can you imagine if we didn't have baseball? Can you imagine if we didn't have something to watch every single night? Football doesn't play every night. Basketball doesn't play every night. Hockey doesn't play every night. Baseball plays every day. There's somehow a way you can watch a game, whether it's on your television, on your computer, you're able to watch something. I can't imagine if we didn't have it. So I thank all these guys for going through this really tough season. But it also is, you know, we all got to suck it up. And we got to hope that 2021 goes back to somewhat normal. Yeah, well, we'll see. The hope, I think the uh, the uh, basis of this is going to depend on, well, one, what the vaccine looks like for COVID, if that, whenever that comes out, but I just, I'm just glad that we were able to have a season in general because if not, I would have finished West Wing a lot earlier on Netflix. So I would then I would have found another show. Um, just having the season, the guys going out there every single day, every team, you know, putting it all on the line. They want to win the World Series. They want this season to matter. Like you've mentioned so many times, this season is going to be more important and a harder World Series to win than any other they've had in a long time. And someone put it out on Twitter yesterday, and I, I, I screenshotted it. It was the A's have won uh, three World Series at the end of the Vietnam War. At the end of the Vietnam War, uh, they won the World Series during the uh, earthquake in 1989, and maybe they can win the World Series during COVID in 2020. So that's it's just one of those things where people are trying to find humor and everything that's going on, and that's a great thing to me. Like I think people trying to do those things is is a good thing for just your whole overall wellness essentially and that's what baseball is bringing baseball is bringing people something to watch something to take their mind off of maybe not working and maybe something you know issues going on with health it's a distraction it's a good distraction i'm glad they're able to play the season it's just crazy that we're in literally the last week of the regular season already where it feels like we just started a couple days ago we need uh we need tim kirch and to call up Corey beck ceo and winemaking chief for Francis Ford Coppola Winery, who told us earlier today that every day he wakes up and finds a silver lining, one silver lining a day, something positive. Kirchner needs to call him. It, it, it really is. And we love these guys, but Kirchner and Buster and these guys have all been real negative <laughs> and they've, they've been negative from the start. Like, I got to a point to where, you know, I was talking about, you know, listening to his podcast while swimming laps. I just, I just couldn't listen to it anymore. It was just so just, uh, how are we going to do this? How are we going to play? You know, everybody's, you know, then I think something flipped. I don't know if it was golf. I don't know if it was NASCAR. I don't know what it is, but something flipped where everybody kind of went, Oh, I guess we can do this. I guess we can play. And for the most part, baseball's done a great job. And we're going to have this postseason, and it's going to be, I'm telling you, you're going to love it. 
It's going to be baseball every night. We saw the schedule today. It's crazy. Starting Tuesday, you're going to have baseball like every day. And you're going to have all these different games being played. And they're going to be all over the place. FS1, TBS, ESPN. It's going to be baseball heaven. If you love baseball, you're going to have as much to watch starting next Tuesday. And it's a and it and, it, and it's a, it's going to be such a different feel than what we've seen in the past. And how how guys are going to manage the postseason when there's no days off. These managers and general managers they could get creative because they had the, the the days off of travel. Now your creativity is going to have to come in your depth. Who's got the depth to play every day? in such high leverage situations. You know, how many relievers are you going to need to close out games? How many relievers? Like, think about seven straight playoff games in the AL and NLCS. Seven, potentially seven straight games. All high leverage innings. Now, of course, during the regular season, you play seven straight days, but not all high leverage. That's the difference. So is a guy like Lou Trevino going to play big? J.B. Wendelkin. I mean, you're going to need all hands on deck. How many days in a row can Liam Hendricks go? Liam will take the ball every day. Could you see Liam Hendricks pitching in six straight games? Absolutely. I totally can. Right? Soria? I mean, some teams, they may say, we need two closers. I mean, if you're going to play, if you're going to play the full series, the full five, the full seven, you know, up until you get to the World Series where now you're back to having some breaks. With the schedule I saw today, this is taking you all, you got to win 13 games to win the World Series. And the last game is going to be on October 28th. So your World Series is going to start on the 20th. So you'll get the 20th and 21st, game one and two, then a day off. Then the 23rd, 24th, 25th will be games three, four, and five. Then a day off. And the good news for this is they're not you're not traveling. You just, you're just getting a day off. And then... Game then game six and seven are October twenty seventh and twenty eighth. But check this out: the division series. Here's your division series. It's going to start on Monday, the American League, and you're going to play the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, Monday through Friday if needed. And the National League will start on the sixth, and they'll play. Six, October 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th, and 10th, if it goes five. And by the way, the ALCS, you're going to get a day off on Saturday the 10th, and then you're right into the ALCS. I mean, there it's just going to be baseball one game after another. Now, the ALCS, Cody, is at Petco, right? That's a good question. I'm pretty sure it's a Petco. Yeah. Um, so the team, so somebody's going to have to, you know, Dodger Stadium, there's not a lot of traffic right now, I'm assuming. I mean, if you, if you, oh, 
that is, it's a horrible ride down to San Diego from Chavez Ravine. But I think right now that with not as much traffic, that's yeah, two ish, probably two twenty. Get on a bus, get down there, maybe get a police escort and all the way down to San Diego. Now you're gonna have to do the plane from Houston to to. You're gonna have to fly from Houston to uh, Arlington because that they're not even close to each other. And I like the idea of Dodger Stadium or Petco, either one. I mean, they're pitchers' ballparks. This is what the A's will be used to. And how about this angle? How about the fact that the A's are getting a chance to play at Dodger Stadium? Get familiar with it. Get familiar with the bullpens. Get familiar with the mound. Get familiar with the the field. Because that's likely where they're going to be. Whether they're the two or three seed, I doubt. I, I I don't see the Rays coughing up the number one seed. So the number one seed, number four seed are going to Petco. If you get through your, you know, your first round. So the dot, so for the A's, if they can get through this three here at the Collie and then head down to Southern California, they're going to be playing in a ballpark. They just played in last week. I don't know if that gives you an advantage. I don't know. I just like that they're going to be familiar. So when they walk into Dodgers, if they can get this thing to Dodger Stadium, they're going to be familiar, the sites, clubhouse, the whole deal. I don't know, Cody, if that makes a difference, but I, I rather know the lay of the land before than not. No, no, I, I think that makes complete sense. And I was – while you're talking about how many days straight you have to play, uh, I know they're different sports. It's different ways they're played. But I brought this up before, I believe, where the NHL had – they would play a game in their bubble in Edmonton or Toronto. They'd have a game Thursday night. And then the t- those t- same two teams would come back and play the next night where the NBA – they play one game and then they have a day off. Like so, the 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 um, Eastern Conference Finals is the Celtics and Miami Heat right now. They play Saturday night. They didn't play Sunday. They didn't play Monday. They're playing tonight. You're telling me they needed two days off in the same location they've been in since the end of July, where baseball is going to play every single day after they have like one day off. They're going to play like seven straight days. I just don't understand. The whole coddling of basketball players, that's a completely different thing. That's something we used to have to worry about. We don't have to worry about that anymore. But it's just something that always strikes me is the baseball will play so many days in a row in the postseason without a day off. But the NBA will take like four days off to travel from Cleveland to, to uh, yeah. San Francisco. It's just like, come on. It's a it's a five-hour plane ride. Yeah. No, I mean, it was, it was, it, it was all – we got to get the Lakers on Saturday night, or we got to get the, you know, or when we were doing it, they got to get the Warriors on Saturday night, prime time, prime time. You know, not worrying about the ebb and flow of a series and just worry about television. I mean, to have that many days off, I remember doing the Warriors. I was doing the Warriors pre and post game show during this run, and it's like, this is ridiculous. Yeah, was it How the- can you have this many days off? What was it? The one year, I think it was the one year they went to the finals, they had like nine days off for the finals started. Nine days off, or what you got? I had the schedule right for for baseball. Essentially, you have, if you're an AL team, you have two days off before the World Series starts. If you're an if it goes seven, if it goes seven in the NLCS, you have one day off before the World Series starts. So it's a little different. It, you know, the other thing good about the World Series, if you can get there, the A's have now played in Texas. That's another thing. 
the A's. The A's didn't play down in San Diego, right? No, the Padres came. Uh, the Padres came. Padres here. were just here, so yeah. they didn't play in Petco. Yeah, they the only they played the the Rockies and the Giants at their away ballparks, and then they played. The, they're playing the Dodgers down there, obviously, and the Padres are coming here. That's why they split it up. Was last year the year that the A's played two games at Petco and Stephen Piscotty hit that home run late, and then the next day just they ambushed the Padres. I don't think they played the the who they would have played last. It might have, actually might have been the Padres they played last year in the. Uh... Well, it was either it was either last year or the year before, because it was in that run of ninety seven wins. Yeah, I'm just trying to remember Scotty who they. Hit that, who they Scotty played, hit that like... huge home run, and then the next day they just beat him up and left town. Yeah, I'm gonna pull up their schedule because I'm, I'm I can't remember who they played last year in regards to uh, interleague because I know it obviously it's different every year. They would have played. No, it was it was two years ago. They played the uh, AL Central, the NL Central last year. Because remember, they played in Pittsburgh, and so it would have been yeah. the year before. Because this year they were. Right, just- so I bet the majority of those guys have played. My my whole point is like Petco won't be foreign, so Dodger Stadium won't be foreign, Petco won't be foreign, and neither will neither will Texas because yeah. they've now played there. To where you know, if you got a team from the East, they would have never played at the new ballpark in Arlington. Yeah. And the, and the Rays playing either Petco playing a Petco Park is going to be different for them for sure. And uh, the A's were supposed to play the uh, NL East this year for interleague play if the actual 2020 season would have been played. So we would have seen the Mets and the Braves, my Marlins. So big difference. But, hey, it's working out. And uh, hopefully you're right, though. But seeing these fields already is, is a big advantage because then that, that way you don't have to, and not have to worry about traveling is also a big thing, too. Coming up next, it's the Bob Melvin Show right here on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Oh, did you see that Simmons uh, and Relton Simmons opted out? Yeah, I saw that, and then I then I realized that he's a free agent after the year too, so he opted out with a week left. I, I don't know what the uh, reasons are behind it, but. I mean, a week left, it's a bit odd, but may, I don't know. Maybe he maybe didn't want to risk an injury. Maybe he was tired of playing with Mike Trout. Who knows? <laughs> Pool holes already passed Willie Mays. What else do you need to see? Yeah, no, Otani really. Uh, Jared Walsh is hitting too many home runs. I don't know. Maybe they're, they're trying to make a, a run for the last playoff spot. They're not going to get there, but they are playing a lot better. I'll give them that. that and Jared Walsh not being, on the, not being up to start the year for them. I, I, I don't understand it, but apparently Madden didn't think he had the confidence yet, but then a, week, a month later when he played at the alternate side, he had the confidence. I, I just don't get it. He's been unbelievable for the last month for them. What time are we done here today? About 527-ish. Okay, here is the Bob Melvin Show, and I just want to tell you, we recorded this. Bob, you know, time's limited. We are able to catch up with him on Sunday, so we're not going to be able to congratulate him about the AOS championship. We wanted to bring it up. Like, Bob, you're going to be – he wants no part of that. <laughs> He's superstitious. So if you're like, why didn't you ask him about it? Well, they weren't exactly AOS champs yet, even though we knew it was going to happen. Here is the Bob Melvin Show. Well, it's now time for the Bob Melvin Show right here on A's Cast and A's Cast Live, presented by nestbedding.com. That's nestbedding.com. Love where you sleep. Go to nestbedding.com and type in the coupon code Oakland 
and get 10% off your entire order. That's mattress and all your bedding needs. Bob, how are you this week? You know, I'm, I'm pretty good right now, and I'd like to add on to that, that I am a client of Nest Bedding. And not only are the mattresses fantastic, but the bed frames are as well. My wife loves the bed frames with the technology in them. We just got a couple like a few days ago, and she is ecstatic. So I am absolutely on board with nest bedding. You know, it's amazing, Bob, when the wife is happy, everything just seems to go better at home. I would have to say that crossed my mind as soon as I said that, but you, you were the one that said it. (laughs) Well, you know, I I, I think about what you guys have been going through, and I can't tell you, as someone who works for the organization, someone who's a fan, I can't tell you how proud I am of what you guys have been through and how you've overcome and, and how you've also achieved. I mean, this has probably been the craziest time of your career. Well, without a doubt, it's not even close. And yeah, I would agree with you in the fact that, you know, you look at the standings and you see where teams are, but a lot more goes into it this year. And there's a lot of frustration. There's a lot of, uh, you know, routines being upset. There's doesn't seem like there's a day that goes by where everything goes smoothly. So look, I'm not complaining. We're, we're working and, and we're entertainment value for the public and we're lucky to work. But you're exactly right. It's a different season. There, there are a lot of curveballs thrown at you. Well, and, and, you know, speaking of the postseason, you're back in the postseason. And hopefully uh, when people are listening to this, the A's will be American League West champions. But you are in the postseason six out of nine years that you've been the manager of this ball club. You've been in the postseason. What does that mean to you? Oh, it means the world. I mean, you know, when I when I first got here and came in interim in 11, you know, things weren't great at the time and you don't make a managerial change if things are going great. And then in 12 was a magical season and we turned it around and won, you know, we're in the postseason three years in a row and went through a, a little bit of a turnover after that. And then, you know, once this younger group got here again, it's it's been what, three more or whatever it's been. So Yes, it's we have terrific players here. Our front office does a great job of, of acquiring play, of players, and sometimes not at the, you know, top of the market as far as salaries go. So, you know, on top of that, it's it's home for me, and I grew up here, and there's just such a pride factor involved with wearing this uniform. You know, I remember when you got here. I want to say it was in Chicago. You took over uh, when the club was taking on the Chicago White Sox. And you were flying back from Chicago, looking at the media guide, trying to figure out who your players were. Can you talk about that story of when you first took over? That was one of the more surreal moments of my managerial career. I was literally in the dugout the first two days, and I didn't know who anybody was. And if they had a pullover on, I didn't know who they were. So I I, I remember thinking to myself, I don't know how long this is going to last because this is really uncomfortable. Uh, I've never done it in the middle of the season. And like I said, I was just not up to speed on the personnel and who guys were. And I knew there was a lot of turnover here as well. Um, So it was, it was an uncomfortable few days, but once we got back to Oakland, I felt that much better being here in the Coliseum. And I remember we, we swept the giants in a, in a series that year here in Oakland uh, in a couple of one run games. And, And after that point, I was completely energized. You know, the job just has fit you. 
And, I, you know, not, not, not to say Seattle didn't, not to say Arizona didn't. I mean, you had great success in, in Arizona and also uh, with Bob Brenly, you know, winning a World Series with that group. And I know what that group means to you. But what is it about Oakland that is just it? This has fit you like a glove. It really has. I mean, I, you know, it's, you know, when, whenever you grow up in an area and follow the team and know all the players and been to the Coliseum, basically spent my youth here, whether it was football games, whether it was baseball games, whether it was concert days on the green, whether it was basketball games across the street at, at, uh, you know, at the basketball arena. And, and then all of a sudden you're working in those places. There's, there's really no words to describe that. You know, when I think about some of the guys that you've acquired and they've just been, you know, talk about perfect fits, uh, Tommy LaStella, I mean, to have somebody come in to have such quality at bats, let's start with him. Uh, you know, I kind of compared it to you've been missing a Jed Lowry type player that he's become that player for you, but a guy that goes up to the plate, he's not going to strike out. All he does is make hard contact. What has he meant to your lineup? You know what, it, it's for a lineup that does tend to swing and miss, and for years, you know, we've been relied on the homer. Here recently, we've been doing a little bit differently, and we haven't been relying on the homer as much, and, and Tommy's been at the forefront of that. He struck out the other day, and everybody looked at each other in the dugout like, what, what just happened? They, <laughs> they couldn't believe he struck out. I think it was the first time. It might have been the second yeah. since he's been here, but it, it is just it, everybody was just like, well, I, I don't understand what just happened. So... He has, he has not only, you know, performed well, but he's rubbed off on the other guys, too. You can see him in the cage. Guys really watch what he's doing, kind of how he goes about his business. And, you know, when you got a guy up there that never gives up any at-bats, uh, it, it resonates with the guys. And then it's hard to believe when you go and look. I don't even know if you've looked at it. You probably shouldn't. But if you look at Jake Lamb's numbers in Arizona and look what he's doing for you now – it, it really is my, it, it's mind blowing. I think he has more hits now here than he did in the entire time there. And, and one of it's being inspired in a new place. Another one is, is getting consistent at bats. And, and when you get yourself in a rut and you're not playing and things aren't going good and you know, all of a sudden you're in a place where a team's playing for something and now you're getting to play, uh, you're seeing the talent level come to the forefront. So he, he's had good years before, I think this just really inspired him and gave him a, you know, a second life. Yeah, it, it shows you what, what a mental game this is because obviously you have the talent to be here. Just talk about how that is just the mental grind of being in one place and then going to another place with guys you don't know. It's just like it really is like hitting a reset button. I'm sure you've seen that multiple times in your career. Without a doubt. And, you know, this is where kind of the analytics get lost. It's, it's easy to pigeonhole a guy based on his at-bats and what he's done and, and the, what the analytics tell you, but the analytics can't tell you something like this is going to happen. And, and this is the human part of the game that, that is so rewarding to see. And, um, you know, I, I don't think you can find a bigger example of that. So, you know, we got some numbers here on Jake, and I'm sure once we get our updates, it's going to change completely based on, you know, his body work with us. So, uh, you know, hit a home run off a left-hander yesterday. It's just been absolutely fantastic in, in trying to, you know, at least pick up the slack for, for what, what is arguably our, our best all-around player that we lose in Matt Chapman. I don't know if anybody has ever won a division or gone deep into the playoffs 
with uh, uh, two rookie catchers. I, 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 I don't know the answer to that, but the, the fact that you got two young guys that are leading you, and I know how much the position means to you. You got basically two linebackers. You got the two biggest catchers. But what does it mean to you, these young guys, and how they've become so good not only with the pitching staff but contributing offensively? Yeah, it's a great point. I, you know what, I, it, they don't feel like young, you know, rookie catchers to me. You know, we've had uh, both of them in spring for a couple of years. We were kind of waiting for Murph to, to emerge as he did last year. And Jonah's made just such terrific strides last year and, and has fit in so well here too. So we're lucky to have both these guys. You know, there's a lot of information. These guys can be up to speed as far as scouting reports and so forth. Uh, you know, they have the wristbands now behind the plate with speeds up the, the process as well. But the fact of the matter is they're two talented guys. And I've always been a guy that's, you know, give me one veteran guy. But uh, I've changed my mind on that. These, these two guys have changed my mind. How much do you actually communicate with them on a daily basis and help them prepare? Because the biggest thing, obviously, is handling the pitching staff. Well, Marcus Jensen is as good a catching coach as you're going to have. And, and a lot of you know the process that, that leads into the game is, is Marcus Jensen. So uh, kudos to him. And, and these guys respect and love him. And, and he's done such a great job with our catching core over the years here. He's, his name definitely needs to be brought up. But once the game starts, the communication with me is is all the time. And, you know, I'll even there's even kind of a silent communication between, you know, like if I, I think they missed a pitch, you know, I'll give them a look and then they give me a look back. You know, no, it was a strike. You're right. And it's it's just kind of a silent communication that really kind of only managers and catchers have. So I'm not going to ask you who, but do you have in your mind the three guys that you think once you wrap this up, you can set this kind of three-man rotation for the wild card series. Do you have an idea right now who the three are? Well, you know what? It's a, it's a collaboration here, and it, as it should be. And and so, you know, typically it'll be who we think is pitching the best at the time. So there's still some time left. Yes, I have some thoughts in my mind. I'm sure Billy does. I'm sure David does. I'm sure Scott Emerson does. So, um, you know, we'll all get together when this thing you know, if we do end up clinching and trying to set up, you know, uh, where we are with our pitching. But I, I think there's some guys in mind. The, the great thing is that I, all these guys could perform in, in, in playoff uh, competition. So that's a luxury to have. But at some point in time, we'll try to formulate that. Well, I, I, I got to tell you, this year has been, I mean, everything you've had to deal with from COVID-19, social injustice, potentially a hurricane, the air quality, I mean, just just one thing after another. And for your ball club to be where they are at 33 and 19, going to the postseason, and hope, we'll say hopefully, even though we're gonna, we know it's going to happen, being American League West champs for the, first time, for the first time since 2013, you have to be very proud of yourself. You got to be very proud of these guys because it, it, it has been – with all of the hurdles and all the issues, it's been one hell of a year. It really has, and, and we're lucky to be playing. Um, you know, it looked like for a while I thought it would have been long odds to play, but we've, we've found a way to get through it to this point and credit the players for, for staying on protocol. Our coaching staff is absolutely terrific here. They deserve a lot more credit than, than I do because these are the guys that are preparing these guys every day and, and getting them ready for these games, and, you know, sometimes – 
it, it's tough as far as routines and so forth. But our co- our coaching staff keeps everybody's spirits up, and they've been they've been significant in in where we are right now. Great stuff, Bob. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you later in the week. My pleasure. Thank you. That's the Bob Melvin Show brought to you by nestbetting.com. That's nestbetting.com. And remember, use the coupon code Oakland and you'll get 10% off your entire order, whether we're talking mattress and all your betting needs. That's nestbetting.com and use the coupon code Oakland. That's the Bob Melvin Show right here on A's Cast. Well, there you go. AL West champs once again. Looks like we got a little change in the Dodgers lineup. Thank God I wrote it in pencil. Who's not Edwin playing? Edwin Rios is now going to be playing third base and not Justin Turner. Turner's not in the lineup. Let's see what let me see what I can find on Twitter from Dodgers people. So it was tweeted out the lineup by the ASPR for both teams, but now, so that kind of changes. They move everybody up. So it was still as Bet Seeger, but now Muncie's third, Bellinger fourth, uh, Will Smith uh, at fifth, Chris Taylor sixth, Jock Peterson seventh. Everybody just moves. Out. AJ Pollock will be eighth, and then Edwin Rios will bat ninth, playing third base. Because Justin Turner's been his reach base safely in 10 of his last 21 plate appearances since returning from the uh, hamstring injury. His 26 game on base streak is the longest in Major League Baseball. Did I stall long enough for you to find the answer? Uh, no one's saying anything. It says Justin Turner was scheduled to play third base for the first time since August 20th, now scratched from the Dodgers lineup. So I'm trying to see if there's any uh, Dodgers. No, that none of the Dodgers beat writers have anything out there right now. See, that's the thing when something happens like this, and if you don't have a if you don't have a Ring Central Google Meet Zoom thing, you're, you can't <laughs> talk to these guys. Are you ready for a little buying or selling? It's time for buying or selling. Sell, sell right now with Chris Townsend on A's Cast Live. All right, now we can finally get to one that I've been wanting to get to for, well, a while. It, all, it was all based around the trade deadline. That's how long it's been since we've really uh, done a lot of buying or selling. So at the trade deadline, the Padres are the most active team heading into the deadline. They acquired several big-name pieces in their bullpen and rotation and also behind the behind the dish, too. They acquired Mike Clevenger, Trevor Rosenthal, Mitch Moreland, Taylor Williams, Austin Nola, Jason Castro, Austin Adams, Greg Allen, and and one other reliever, Dan Altavia. Altavia. This helped solidify their bullpen that had eight blown saves going into it, and they had no Kirby Yates, and veteran guys like Jason Castro and Mitch Moreland to help the young team with a veteran presence. They are currently 34-20, four games behind the Dodgers, who will play the A's tonight in the NL West. They are third in the league in runs. When did you ever think you'd hear the San Diego Padres were third in Major League Baseball and runs scored? They're fifth in home runs, and if the playoffs ended today, they would play my Miami Marlins in the first round. Buying or selling, the Padres will make it to at least the NLDS. I'll buy that. Manny Machado's having a phenomenal year. Fernando Tatis, he's actually gone cold. Uh, He had a great 
first part, middle part of the year. But go look at Manny Machado's numbers. This is the best he's ever played. Uh, well, he's trying this year. That's why. Remember? Yeah. Well, he's decided in year year uh, two of a 10-year deal that he, yeah, maybe I'm going to try and play this year. Well, kudos to him because it's paying off dividends for the po- the Friars and Bob Townsend's Padres right now as they are gonna be, they're going to make the playoffs. I think they can clinch a playoff spot tonight if they win against us. Oh, well, there's there, there there's 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 here I'll get there's all kinds of scenarios. Let's see. The San Diego Padres can clinch home field advantage in the NL wild card series tonight with a win over the Angels or a Cardinals loss to the Royals. Okay. That's right. They clinched their first playoff berth since 2006 the other day. So, yeah, I, I remember seeing something they could clinch something tonight. So that's, you know, good good for them. I mean, it's great to see them back in the playoffs. We're, we're going to hopefully see the Marlins end their playoff streak, which is back to 03. Uh, the only one we won't see broken is the Mariners, uh, which is all the way back to 2001. But who knows? They got a nice young team just building coming forward. Maybe that's going to be a team that's a formidable challenge for the A's going forward. Speaking of, well, formidable cha- former formidable challenges – Tommy's on, Tommy John surgery is claiming another pitcher. This time, it's 37-year-old, 226-game winner, Justin Verlander. The reigning Cy Young winner announced he will have Tommy John surgery on Instagram over the weekend. We can assume he'll miss most, if not all, of the 2021 season. Then he becomes a free agent at the end of the 2021 season at the age of 38 years old. Verlander has the most wins for an active pitcher with 226. His teammate, Zach Granke, is second with 208. The next closest is John Lester, who I believe won his 193rd game against the Pirates last night. And Clayton Kershaw has 172, and he's only 32 years of age. The last 300-game winner was Randy Johnson 11 years ago, pitching for the Giants. Buying or selling, we will never see a 300-game winner again. Fine. I mean, there's no doubt. Verlander was the one guy who had maybe a shot at it and that's a maybe because it's about health right and he hasn't had the surgery yet it's almost October it's 14 months you don't want to rush this back he's losing a year you know some people say it's getting your getting a new arm I don't know yeah I don't I I think he if we see, I think we'll see him pitch again. I don't know if we're going to see him be the same guy. I thought he would be scary if he actually did throw this year as a guy that came out of the bullpen for the Astros. Uh, it's someone that maybe towards the end of the year came back and they don't want him to be him a starter, but they can use him as a bullpen as a deadly guy. But unfortunately, we might not see him until 2022 when he's uh, 38 going on 39 years old. So this I, all- think he'd be cra- I think he'd be crazy to rush it. Oh, yeah, you gotta totally. Take, you got to take the 14 months. And then maybe just me. I mean, he says he wants to pitch well into his 40s. Maybe getting Tommy John and sitting out a whole year. Maybe that. Maybe that will. Well, it's basically two years, so the rest of your arm can heal. Um, but yeah, I don't think. I I I I think he's lost too much time. I agree. So speaking of the Astros, they're also not only will Verlander be a free agent after next year. George Springer is a free agent after this season. So is Josh Reddick and a few others. But this all ties back into the Justin Verlander injury. Buying or selling the Justin Verlander injury is the end of the Houston Astros' current run. I I will buy that. Because they've lost so much. You know, Osuna's out. He probably, he probably won't be back next year because of Tommy John. They're closer. Verlander out. 
Uh, Wade Miley's gone. Garrett Cole's gone. Springer probably leaves. Are they going to want to pay Correa? It's a, it's it, they could be a hold, and they your your guy Jordan can't stay healthy, has bad knees. Yeah. I mean, it's I I, don't, I, I have a feeling that uh, the Astros in the next couple of years are going to look far different than the team that hosted the trophy in 2017. So I'm buying. Yeah, and also Gary L is going to be a free agent after the year. I just his name just popped in my head, and also after next year, I think McCullers is a free agent and Springer or not Springer Correa. If you don't resign those guys. So essentially the Astros going forward have Kyle Tucker, Jordan Alvarez, Jose Altuve, and Alex Bregman essentially is the guys you're going to try to build your team around. It's not a bad core of guys, but you have to – all the guys are potentially losing. They, they have to find some other guys, and I, I don't know. They're, they're an analytics-based franchise with James Click there now coming from the Rays, but we'll see what they do. The Detroit Tigers received some uh, shocking news this weekend. Manager Ron Gardenhire just retired abruptly, and Lloyd McClendon, the former Mariners and Pirates manager, the man who also stole first base when he managed the Pittsburgh Pirates, is now their active manager. The Tigers are going to miss the playoffs again for the sixth straight season. Our friend John Morosi put out a list of managerial candidates who could take over the team in 2021. That'd be Don Kelly, Lloyd McClendon, Will Venable, uh, Marcus Thames, George Lombard, Vance Wilson, and former... Tigers catcher A.J. Hinch as potential candidates. Now, Hinch last coached the Astros, managed the Astros in 2019, and was suspended for the 2020 season by Major League Baseball for the Astros cheating scandal. Buying or selling A.J. Hinch will be the next manager of the Detroit Tigers. I'm selling. I think he's going to need to be out of the game for a little bit. Remember, we will watch these guys have to wear it hopefully by next season when fans are back there people are still gonna want to call these guys cheaters on a nightly basis they're not out of the woods yet uh, I, I think it's too early could be wrong but i think it's too early yeah all right last one i'm gonna get to this one quickly because i've been wanting to get to it and you know how much i don't understand the hype but over the last few years we've seen a lot of overhyped prospects mark appel comes to mind and countless others remember appel retired after being the was a top 10 pick by the Astros after he was actually number one, I believe, because he didn't sign with the Pirates, but he retired because he never made it to the majors. Now, there's one name that always appears as the top name to trade deadline, and he's not even a prospect. This pitcher is 29, and he's 2-7 and seven with a 6-9-6 ERA this year. Last year, he went 9-12 and 12 with a 4-5-4 ERA, 238 strikeouts, and allowed an MLB worst 39 home runs. He has a career ERA over five in 21 games under 500. That's Matthew Boyd of the Detroit Tigers. Buying or selling, Matthew Boyd is the most overrated pitcher in Major League Baseball. <laughs> and he's always brought up about being traded and going to get him. And yeah, yeah, I, I'll, I'll buy that. I just don't get it. Like, uh, I, I'm sorry, I don't mean to, to, to go to, to, to get on the guy, but they're always talking about him being traded. Yeah, I get it. He's young and he's under team control for you know another couple well, of years. He's not young. 29's not young. Well, okay, young. No, yeah, okay. older. He's older. He's never had an ERA where his his or never had a season where his ERA is even close to being under four. But he, the only thing he'll be a free agent in twenty twenty three. He has a six nine six ERA this year. I, I just don't. I don't understand it. But that's it. I don't want to pitching wanna... in a pitching in a a, a a a a tremendous pitcher's ballpark there in Detroit. Yeah, I don't. I don't get it. But I wanted to get that one in because I'm saving the, the Grom one for tomorrow. Oh, God. 
We're so, back tomorrow at 3 o'clock. That's correct. Dave Cavill, the build. Ray Fossey, the Garv, Steve Garvey. Steve Garvey? Yeah. We're going to have a big show. And I'm still working on a few others. We'll see. I'm trying to get Emo to come on, but we'll see if we'll be able to snag Scott Emerson while he's down in L.A. He might be soaking up too many rays in the sun down there. Oh, no. He's grinding it. They're grinding <laughs> it. What, what time are we done? Uh, now. Okay. All right. We'll be back tomorrow. Coming up next. What do we have coming up next? Ned Coletti. You're going to hear Ned Coletti replay before we go to Ace Total Access with you. Yeah. We want to thank everybody who came on the program today. Corey Beck from uh, – uh, Francis Ford Coppola Winery was phenomenal. Diana Hovey from No Kid Hungry Program. Uh, Ned Coletti, we always love having Ned on. Rick Sutcliffe, Chris Bassett, Bob Melvin. Nice show today, Cody. We'll see you tomorrow at 3 o'clock. Coming up next, Ned Coletti. And we'll be back for A's Total Access in a few. Be safe, everybody. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.